Courts podcast. That's you stole all... my line. I totally stole your line. You, you... wait, take it too long. Have you ever gone first? No, I've never I gone don't first. Think so. It felt In invigorating. This... No, I think there was once. That's it. Probably. That's it. I'm gonna scour all the episodes and find when you've gone first. I know that Steve's gone first a few times because he's done his NPR voice. For I've done us. my NPR voice. I've done the the German voice. Yeah. Uh, oh, I do. Welcome to the Cross Cuts podcast. I, but I couldn't <laughs> get I couldn't get you to do your uh, Jimmy Stewart though. No, yeah. that, that's I that's did the hidden. Sesame Street Letter of the Day thing once, but yes. I think it only made yeah. it into the yes. bloopers. And I don't think it was on the actual. I don't. Episode. Yeah, I don't think it was either. Well, yeah, I'll post that in the comments maybe. Yeah. If anyway, someone cares. <laughs> if anyone cares, is there any care out there? Um, it's gonna be that one YouTube guy, right? I remember John <laughs> went first in episode. Anyway, speaking of, I'm John. I'm Matt. I'm Steve. Uh, Steve almost forgot. He, yeah. We went out of order. Confused him. Yeah, there we go. Um, I think he was waiting for me again. I'll go again. There are only three of us this week. If you've checked our social media, you saw that due to scheduling conflict, we are not able to have Matt Helps Claw this week. However, we will have him next week. So instead, this week, we will do my album choice that would have been next week. We're doing it a week early. Um, You're confusing me already. Well, I know. Your eyes started to cross. Mm-hmm. Um, that YouTube guy again. We last week, you, you said. said. <laughs> um, I like this voice that you've come up with for the YouTube guy. <laughs> it's fairly accurate. I've heard several of them in person. In fact, I've done one or two of those comments in my time. And <laughs> even in my head, it sounded like that. I thought they were mythical. Mm. <laughs> no, they are not mythical. If you just scour YouTube enough, they are definitely there. But they don't actually it's, exist. Like, they don't no. have corporeal form. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, of course it's, not. They're not. It's not like a unicorn mythical. It's more like a double rainbow. Yes, yes, they do exist, but they're very hard to cut them across. Well, then. <laughs> um, Except you. You found one, I apparently. Found, I found several. Um, I uh, So, yeah. So, we're going to do my album pick this week. So, uh, s- stick with us for next week. We will have met our guest for January a week late. So, early February guest. And then we'll have a late February guest. And then we'll be back on track. Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> or I'm the one who does all the scheduling anyway, so it's up to me anyway. Hey, I scheduled something last year. Once <laughs> with Devin Jackson-Mullen. Twice with Tony Catalano. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's Apparently, true. The, but technically, the, the by then, he was already crowd. a member of our... Our humble uh, and esteemed. I website. scheduled him. That's yeah, true. Sh- sh- he told him when you want to come on. This guy over here. He told me Tony Katz. No, no, no. All right. No bad accents aside. My album pick for this week is sort of um, a continued trend that I, I guess I started um, when we reviewed uh, Damon Albarn and then Blur, and hopefully this year at some point Gorillas to follow, reviewing an artist both with their band and solo. Way back in the early years of Crash Roots Podcast, I brought on one of my favorite bands from the 90s, Matchbox 20's latest record. What episode was that, Steve? That was episode 11. And so um, they are a band who've been around for a while. I'm a huge fan of theirs. I've seen them in concert probably, I think, the most multiple times. I'd actually have to do math, but I think I've seen them two or three times at least. Um, Repeat offenders, Weezer might beat them. I don't remember. But anyway, um, so I'm a longtime fan of their work, and... Their lead singer, Rob Thomas, has also had a successful solo career. He has two prior records under his belt for just solo works, and his third one, The Great Unknown, is what we're going to take on today. Um, I like his solo stuff. His first solo record was 
very similar to Matchbox 20, but then branched out a little more with his second solo record. Matchbox 20 themselves as a band kind of got more pop as they went on also. But that aside, um, you know, I, I like Rob Thomas's solo work. I think that his brand of pop is more engaging than the mainstream pop. You know, he has some tracks that fall succumb to the, hey, I've heard this before, but it's catchy. But I don't really mind that. I'm okay with, with that for his stuff because I'm a fan. He's one of my favorite singer-songwriters in general. Well, even Matchbox 20's work I would call pop rock, at least. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty good for radio play, at least. Um, it, it was at least as emphasizing the rock as least. it was... <laughs> the pop. I mean, yeah, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't pop with rock themes. It was rock that had some of that radio, like you said, radio infusion idea to it. Right. But it is it is true, like Matt said, this is a slight revisitation for us. Rob Thomas did after all. He had his origins in Matchbox 20 and Matchbox 20 had its origins in a band called Tabitha's Secret, yep. which Rob Thomas had also fronted, and that band lasted only from 93 to 95 and got caught up in a bunch of legal snafus involving contracts and that sort. If you'd like to read more on the subject, there's a great source called Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> I will refer you to pages top to bottom. Something brief about Tabitha's Secret, actually, is that I have their first record, and there are some songs that were on that record that are uh, on... Matchbox 20's first record. They kind of ramp them up and get better production. Yeah, there's actually them. one guy who's even still trying to write Tabitha's secret tracks, which I find really crazy for a band that was only around for, for essentially two years. But uh, yeah, the album we did review by Matchbox 20 uh, was part of a sort of a re-hiatus. Actually, their second hiatus, come to think of it. They did yeah, one they... in 2007, and then they did another in 2012. It's hard yeah. to believe that's already four years ago now. I guess they're due for another hiatus return. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, well... We're not here to look at Matchbox 20, we're here to look at Rob Thomas, whose work, although I see as a natural extension of Matchbox 20 in some sense, the acoustic tracks, for instance, are in a similar vein, I feel like it is fired by an even more radio-ready packaging process. Yeah, so, that's undeniable. I mean, his big singles from the previous two records are definitely radio play-friendly. Yeah, and like I said, even Matchbox 20, like, they were known for the work that they did from 95 to 04. Um, that was their heyday, I guess, but even heyday is like a relative term. They never officially disbanded. They can get together again. And, you know, people get older, they get wiser, so why can't their best work be ahead of them? Or even his solo work. Well, yeah, I for sure liked um, the album we reviewed a lot, and I thought certain songs were some of their best work. The album as a whole, I still don't think is their best album. Well, the album you were talking about, for instance, Something to Be, I believe that was their first, his yes. solo album. Uh, that was like a major, major box office success. It was yeah. number one in the charts. Yeah. So, yeah, let's see what we get in this. Is this his third, fourth? Third. Third solo record. Third solo record. All right. The Great Unknown. And we are traversing The Great Unknown right now. Track one. I think we'd feel good together. So, the minute this track starts, it's kind of like, well, hello, pop music. Like, it's it's very much piano and drum machine, dancey. It's beat, 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 beat. I mean, that's, that's the focus of the rhythm, percussion, beat section. That's really all it, it starts off with. Well, let me talk about the first six seconds, in fact, because the first six <laughs> seconds of this track was almost like an awful trance clip. It was really strange. It really is not indicative of the track at all. And it's not that I'm anti-trance or anything. I, I actually, I just think that it makes for a very generic intro. That said, we are only talking about six seconds, and then after that, it is straight to the verse. The groove here, it's purely pop rock. It's 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 bass, drum, piano driven. His vocals also come in, come in right away. 
And as as pop as it is, though, I, I'm inclined to disagree a little bit, John. I thought it was pretty infectious, come to think of it, and it had a more well-rounded sound. I mean, as far as it being steady, yeah, sure. But his vocals are what make this the most interesting, because his vocals are more in line with what I, I, I feel a, uh, old Maroon 5 did. You know, that sort yeah. of like fast-talking uh, way of speech, uh, even like almost a Jason Mraz kind of quick pace thing to it. Especially, I found this uh, real, was really heavy uh, close to the end of the second verse as we lead into the second chorus it's almost like it's 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 a mile a minute and it was really impressive to me i thought when you combine that with it was nearly one week level bare naked ladies style where it really did hit a not hip-hop or rap or anything like that just full stream of consciousness it just he just spits it out and that's something honestly it struck me as like kind of thing that could have been freestyled but I, I I have no doubt that it was like painstakingly, you know, written verbatim, but it was it's pretty well done. I like the way you bump and grind. Do you mind if I take a little more time? You're so fine, but I can't believe you're mine even only tonight. I practice a little. That was hard to say, <laughs> even saying it at that speed. And he's doing it twice as fast as that, at Probably, least. Yeah. I mean it's yeah, he's still got some chops, and that's what I liked about it's got old a lot. School. It's got a lot of pep to it, so it's like it's it's silly to focus on on the beat itself. Even the well, bass, I thought, had a really nice tone to it. One of my issues is because the beat just seems to get louder as the track goes on, or I'm just becoming more focused on it because of how forefront it was. It was hard to get away from. I I I don't like just heavy kick drum i want something a little bit more than that when we're talking about percussion when we're talking about the rhythm i want something that that feels a little more fluid especially when the vocals are so fluid ah but this came across as like a single track despite the fact that it's not really a single yeah it's it seems like it would be a much superior single to in fact the singles that are coming up but uh, i i was i was thoroughly enjoying this i think uh, this is the the main issue i had as at the beginning it just did not strike me as rob thomas's sound or even as the sound of matchbox 20 not from my experience at least well, yeah, but that's the problem there, is if you had heard his first two solo records, this is very much in line it's with very his solo record. very much in line Absolutely, with that. Absolutely, yes. Well, this is a funny thing, because I, I, I would call most of Matchbox 20's work, and I, I dip back to, to listen to some of their earlier work. I, I kind of knew the sound, even back when we were talking about North, as, as long ago as that is. Um, but Matchbox 20 had, like I said, a very pop rock sound. That's, that's what I would call, just without getting picky about it. But if I had to suggest a, a secondary influence for their earlier work, I'd say, and I love invoking uh, me and Matt's age-old disagreement over the subject, I would say grunge. I would say his vocals are very grunge, but the the, the, the music, it, it wavers from this kind of rock and roll, grunge, whatever. I mean, maybe it's pointless even to bring this up, because of course, this is not Matchbox 20. Correct. But it is Rob Thomas, and I yes. feel... I feel it is such a stark contrast from some of the stuff I heard there in the late 90s. It almost doesn't seem like the same person, even the way his, he's singing, too. Again, I thought that when I heard his first solo record. But so you're over it, is what he's you're saying. Th- yeah, he's three record, solo records deep at this point, and he, his big singles on the previous two records were very much pop dance hits like this. So for me, I'm not surprised. Well, I'm not discounting. Me, that brings me to a compliment then, because in that case, this this track here is indicative of the fact that he's changing with the times. I mean, if I consider what he was doing back in the 90s, it's like he was just listening to other grunge music. It wasn't like the, the premier uh, example of grunge that maybe I would advertise to other people who were actually in the grunge field. But then, if, based on some of the stuff that it sounds like you're telling me from the 2000s era, and then this sounding kind of like Maroon 5, but also kind 
kind of like the band's fun and other really heavy anthemic pop of today, it's it's very morphable. It's very amorphous. It, I, I kind of appreciate it for that, at least. Yeah. It shows I, a, 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 a self-aware musician. But I don't want to hang up on that too much. I just say that if you're a fan of his solo work and you're a fan of pop music, Rob Thomas would be someone I'd recommend. Um, as far as vocals go, he's one of my favorite vocalists when I was growing up and I had delusions that I could sing, I would emulate Rob Thomas because he's got that kind of scratchy, deep voice, you know, yeah. that's very velvety almost. And so I gravitated towards that. It works so well on the lower, less energized, dreamlike quality that was in a lot of early Matchbox 20, a lot of mid-Matchbox 20. It's less working here for me, though. There's a lot of reliance on the synthesizer to make the actual musical melody that we're experiencing here, and that contrasts a little bit too much for me with his vocals. Now, see, that becomes a critique to me later in the album. I feel that at this point, his vocals are owning it, and I don't believe the synth is overbearing in any way, shape, or form. I didn't say I overbearing. I, th I said it was at odds. It, it's it's the contrast mm. I'm not liking. I, at odds or, or, or taking over in some way, I, I feel it's working. I feel something is working here, but that doesn't mean I'm completely defending every iota of this track. I feel like there are some things, uh, specifically in terms of structure, that are is, is it's really very what, what's straightforward. Like it's yeah. verse, chorus. There's a break, a bridge. Like let me talk about that that bridge for a second, because just in terms of the predictability of it, I mean, I, I hate to go back to that word, but there are some things. Just when you're talking about pop music, which I knew would be doing today, but mm -hmm. pop is remaking itself. So I, my standards have, I feel like my expectations are increasing as time goes on. So in this particular case, when we get the bridge, that was just uh, this is the moment he says, the moment the sun comes up. And everything's stripped. Everything mm -hmm. is just stripped down bare. We take out the, the, the bass, we take out the synth, we take out everything but his vocals and this, um, uh, I think, just one synth sound. And that's all we have. That's that's a stripped, pared-down segment that allows the track to breathe for no more than it seemed like 20 seconds before we finally go back into the into the chorus, which actually drags out for a considerable amount of time through to the end of the track. I believe it's and two it and just, a half it felt, so, yeah. felt so pointless for me. You well, know? my big issue was with this breakdown was... It's not it's, like I felt tension there or anything. It was I just the felt an eye roll. It was the way it transitioned back into the chorus. That that very standard rising end beat that that was thrown in there to reinvigorate the music to da, 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 just just go up, go up, go up with a percussion sound and boom, you can get back into the action right away. There was no precursor. There was no let's go back into it. It didn't feel like it was a natural transition. It was a transition. I'm not saying it didn't fit that way. It just felt like they needed some way to connect this breakdown to the chorus again, and it felt shoehorned that way. Yeah, that's uh, structure is is an early problem for me here. Um, but I, I I stress that I think his vocals are are as good as they have ever been. Um, at least at least in this environment, it, it works completely. And also considering just the theme of the track, you know, from those opening lines, well, I want to get to know your name. What's your name? And there's like a little call and response there, which mm -hmm. is actually just him it's his own vocals but he's doing his own call and response he's responding to himself actually being the character actually yeah. being the dialogue asking what's your name and then he's he's doing his little aside his little soliloquy uh and tell me what what i'm gonna have to go through are you game and you get that 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 is really it's the dialogue and forth, yeah and then what he's thinking and then what he says yeah and, and i really really enjoyed that so that even even though i was a little bit down on the on the, the musicality the overall uh way he snuffs everything out in that bridge, I still even like the lyrics there. And in the morning when the sun comes up, you don't have to leave, it's up to you. 
But I know that when I rise, I see that look in your eyes, I'll be thinking, it's too good for only a night. Hey, hey, too good for only a night. It's your classic one-night stand turns into a bigger thing. There's mm-hmm. a sweet sentiment there. I just wish that musically it was a little bit more embellished because it's so brief. Yeah, I mean, all told, though, the song is ends three minutes exactly on the dot, and it stops cold. There's no fade-out, no nothing. And that's, and a, so that's get, a standard yeah. wrap-up time for a track length on this album. Yeah. You get that pure vocal outro style. Yeah. That's that's what it is. It's just a final little rendition of... That's that half a chorus of the two-and-a-half chorus ending. I kind of liked it because it did have that purity of voice that I like here. Mm-hmm. I do like Rob Thomas's voice. Don't get me wrong. My complaint here is the juxtaposition between the synth and his vocals. But it really does showcase that he still has it after a number of years. He can still <laughs> sing 20-some-odd years. All right. Well, uh, I, th- I think maybe our, our disagreement might come out in, in, in later tracks, considering that I believe that this is a better example uh, in context of some of what we're about to get. Let's go to track two. Trust you. Now, here I... I'm really complaining about the vocals. Not the way they're being portrayed, but the vocals themselves. He's got an electric synthesizer that turns his normally enjoyable inflection into sort of a listless, even monotone voice. Right, we lose the falsetto that we had in the first track. And this is just, this already is a turnoff for me because we're getting vocals nearly right away with this track. Well, I had a few strange experiences with this. First of all, it wasn't immediately that I realized that this was the single. Although it kind of makes sense in retrospect that it's the single, but once again, yeah. I have higher expectations for singles. This is, this is very... Very bare bones for well, a single, and I can speak to that. I mean, his single, his second single on the previous record, "Her Diamonds," <clears throat> was sweeter and more emotional and kind of slower. And so this is just flat out an uplifting anthemic pop track. And so it just it, it which he's had uplifting tracks as singles, but I felt I felt as someone who experienced his solo career that this seemed even a little disjointed as a solo track. Well, let me discuss for him. let me discuss my experience with sure. this, the, the journey that I felt because as of the opening uh, first few measures, you know, I almost thought this was indicative of like the the acoustic side that I was talking about earlier, how mm-hmm. his acoustic tracks are actually still kind of similar between Max Fox Twenty and and his solo work, but quickly you realize that that's not the case it's it's not going to be um just you know acoustic and sorrowful and and uh and heartfelt it's it's really pretty uplifting and bouncy the the guitar quickly gets squashed by everything else and then once the chorus kicks in all you hear is the background singers just joining in and and, and singing along with these uh these lines when you say hey come on i know i really really want to trust you when I stay, I know I really ought to go, but then I trust you. I trust you. When you say, hey, come on, I know I will because I trust you. I trust you. I get the point, you know? And there's nothing, like... I think there's some trust going on. A, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. It sounds like it's mutual, but, like, with the background singers and, and everything, it, it seems like there's really no... The statement is simply that. There's not much more to it except just, okay, I trust you and I feel good about that. A good thing is happening, and I don't mean to, like, be the ogre here and stand over the song <laughs> saying, you know, this is this is disappointing to me on the level of uh, uh, citing optimism. You know, I'm not, I'm not anti-optimism. I just feel this needed something extra. Well, we don't really get it after that course because verse 2 just becomes a rebuilding idea of starting at the same sort of spot as, as verse 1. And then goes up, goes up, goes up. It it goes so heavily into the 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 club style of music. I just can't get into it because it's being paired with something that is supposed to be kind of pseudo deep. 
having that that kind of candy coating of the of the electronica on top of it just just takes me out of the message that's going on. I don't right think here. there's anything that was that was purported to be deep about this track from the get go. That's well, where I'd argue. Well, it's talking about trust. That's what I'm saying. It's it's it keeps harping on that. He is harping on that, but he's sort of listlessly harping on it. That's a side point. He's harping on "I trust you," yet it's so seedy in its music. I just can't believe him. No, well, it's because he's arguing that he's. Well, no, this is where thematically I I I don't find as much of an issue. The thematic point is is very simple. He 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 trusts you. He he trusts the person in question, and he can't come down. Um, he's higher like a kite. Give me just a minute. This is what he's saying. Essentially, this whole entire track is his own personal proclamation of how good he feels to be in a state where he can actually trust someone. All right, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dispute that. That's a wonderful thing to have. Not a lot of people have trust issues. So this just doesn't start off with much of a, uh, a story arc at all. It starts off with being in a good position. And a lot of these tracks really start off with being in a good position. It's interesting that it's actually called The Great Unknown. It makes me actually think that The Great Unknown is happiness. I mean, it could be. My biggest problem with this track beyond anything else is that <laughs> And it, it doesn't. It's not a problem yet. This is the first time I really notice it. But the repetitive uh, beat work that John was mentioning earlier, specifically in this track, the kick drum, I believe it's a drum machine in this song specifically, is this heartbeat thump that's regular and consistent. And it, but after the like two thirds of the track, it, it feels really grating. And then by the time we get to the breakdown. In this track, the bridge is almost pointless. It just it feels like more fluff when paired with the rest of the track. It doesn't add anything. It's another one of those underground style where everything gets muted, muffled, and it goes through another one of those rebuilds. Especially with the repeating lines towards the end of it, the kind of uh, echoey style. It's it's instead of the drums of the previous track of rising, it's the voice that's doing the rising. It's seems like there's only one way they can transition back into the chorus again. Well, he does expand on this just a little bit, which makes me think that maybe there's a slight bit of uh, of sarcasm here, or or rather the fact that maybe being so trustful isn't a good thing. I'm not 100% sure yet, but he does say, I like to think that I am reasonable, but I can't tell you why I'm down on the floor. I check my hair, but I don't know what it's for. I know tomorrow that I'll trust you some more. Um... That is a little bit enigmatic, to be honest. I don't know really whether that is something that spells doom down the road because he's being entirely too trustful um, and will inevitably get hurt, or whether this is just a happy moment, you know? Right. I, I mean, don't know, and it, there's it, no story it, to be had. There's not enough context here to really know which it is. It could be either, realistically. I don't really think there's an argument for or against at this point. It could be either or. At the end of the day, though, I'm with John that musically, this was uh, a, a low point for a second track, but not I just agree. because I, I liked the first, but my key thing here was just album flow from the first into the second. I feel like I haven't been sufficiently <laughs> psyched or wowed uh, by the first track to really warrant what almost sounds like an ending credits Pixar song. I mean, that's how uplifting this is. Yeah. I feel like we're wrapping up. I don't feel like a story is going to come at all unless well, I mean, unless it really is all just going to be about, well, I'm happy. I'm feeling good. <laughs> I will say style, stylistically, though, that lends to stuff he's done before. He did, I believe the song ended up on his second record, but for the soundtrack to Meet the Robinsons, which was a Disney film, 
he did the song Little Wonders for it, which has a similar. I wondered theme. that. I almost wondered whether that whether like this actually was used somewhere. This might I have know, been. Wow. I don't know if it was, but he's done songs in a similar vein that were. So the writing style could easily have come. from I feel that. like that maybe came through me subliminally. So let's go on to track three, Hold On Forever, uh, which by the way is the second single. And this one starts with a very strummy guitar, whereas in the previous track we had acoustic guitar, but it seemed like there were at least chords. This is very even regular strumming to start. This is actually, yeah, it's in a similar vein, but it's actually closer to my prediction in the last track, which is that this is the acoustic track that certainly <coughs> is more heartfelt, but it's not quite sorrowful, yeah. right? So it's, it's about, it's about half of the way there. Yeah. Um, it, it is a song about love in general, and it is about positivity, but it seems a little bit, he's like, he, he's soaking in it a little bit. Another night and here we are again, all our faults laid out ahead. Let it out and let it right back in, all those voices in your head. And we both know everything and we can't learn to leave, so I'll tell you what you need. First thing, we make you feel better. Next stop, we pull it all together. I'll keep you warm like a sweater. Take my hand, hold on forever. Just fall apart if you need to. I'm here and I won't leave you now. Don't look down, hold on forever. And this is just him. It's this, very he, sweet sentiment. He is, not, but it's well, not just sweet. He's the per, He's the anchor, he's yeah. the rock. That's a, that's a good place to be. If the previous track was a Disney Pixar, this is the Nicholas Sparks movie. I mean, he's going full-fledged like, I, I'm going to be your best everything. I wouldn't compare it to Nicholas yeah, Sparks. It's I, that kind of sugary-coated sweetness. Uh, to yeah, it. except this has a sincerity that those shitty movies don't. Yes, and that's where I was going with okay. it. And actually, I do enjoy the vocals. I really mm. enjoy the lyrics because it is that level of rom-com I kind of want, but the kick drum is just so yeah, much just part of the talk beat about that. Yeah, it's... and the bass the bass comes in and it is cool that a bass comes in but when it does it does exactly what the drum does yeah there's it's, no it's adhered to it it's glue to this drum it's a lot of like like whitewashed patterns between the kick drum and the acoustic guitar like everything is just it's on its own train and there's not a lot of variation in no. this it's it's like if you just took eight bars of it, you'd say, oh, that's, that's that's a nice idea. But I feel like it doesn't hold up on its own. But don't forget, Steve, there were some accents of chimes during the song. Oh, and yeah, piano. There was piano later on, on and yeah. that felt tacked on, to be honest. Um, it didn't feel like... Um, no. It felt like it was accents for something that wasn't mm, happening for I would me. disagree we're on, on two piano. different We're on two different uh, counts here, because obviously what Matt was talking about is more like the background sound effects. The yeah. sound bites that really are meaningless. It's not like born out of some really no. in, intense, you know, composition decision but the piano interlude was it was a nice idea it was a much nicer idea and I feel it had potential it, it could did. have gone somewhere yes it was um, the, the track overall was fairly simplistic and fairly straightforward and I think that's akin to the kind of structure it was built within but even further with this like interlude because it, it, it there was something about the tone of it that maybe I felt could have been a little bit more well better blended because after all this whole track is so uh, mellow and sweet, as if you're just wooing someone on the couch next to you. You know, that's that's the tone that this has. Um, and I guess the piano interlude, as 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 sweet as it was, I felt like it could have been maybe a little bit more. 
grander or warmer or brighter rather than that of like a piano in like a church basement or something. It came across as cheesy and I feel like I wanted a more genuine sound. Yeah. I mean, granted, I'm, I'm kind of a piano nerd. It's no secret to this podcast. No. So it's like I, I, I really harp on tone. Well, uh, at this point, I, I'm, I'm saying me and Matt are probably uh, piano nerds right alongside you. We've heard a point. lot of it in the music we've been doing. And I totally agree with that. It felt like it... It was just a little bit of an oddball. It was a tonal problem and also a, a, a slightly a structural problem because it's, it was so short. It felt like it was kind of wedged into this track. Really nice for its duration, but because it was wedged, I couldn't enjoy it in the way that I really wanted to. I would have been probably more agreeable to it if the piano was integrated into the melody prior yes, to this piano. Yes, exactly. And that was, would have probably made this exact piece so much more approachable for what the song was doing. It came late, it was sudden, it was there and gone. At the end of the day, though, this track I felt was overall very sweet, and I I did enjoy (laughs) it. I just... I need something more than just being sweet. We should ban the word sweet from this podcast, in fact. Pretty Um, much, yeah. Take, for example, this line. I mean, I don't know whether this is... uh, Try not to use sweet, try not to use sweet. Um... A nice line. That's even worse. That's <laughs> nice is worse so than sweet. Worse. Yeah. I don't know whether this is a nice line or whether it's just crappy writing. I'll make you feel warm like a sweater. I mean, I think I, that it's... It's cozy. Yeah. I mean, Sweaters are cozy. I guess he's, he's going to put your arm around you and you'll feel safe because he's the rock. Yeah. How, I, about, it, how about comfort you like a sweater? It gets a little more metaphorical. But it's in context. It's, it's because it's, the writing yeah. here. First thing, we make you feel better. Next stop, we put we pull it all together. I'll keep you warm like a sweater. I'll comfort you like a sweater. Yeah, but sweaters... Yes. Purpose the flow is to wouldn't keep you work, warm, not to be comfortable. But you can, it's, there are it's just a sweaters. symbolism behind it. There's no symbolism here. I'll keep you warm like a sweater is just a statement of fact at that point. It's still sort of symbolism. It's, it's, even, symbolic, it's, even, it's yes, even hard it's, to describe, like, poetically speaking, why the line kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It was, it know, was, right it was in the course of, of yeah. the singing, where it's like, really, but really? his vocals you, were good. You went that's with that choice. That's, <laughs> a pro- that's the problem. His vocals, his delivery really is... Perfectly sugary sweet for it. Well, and, uh, and I like his vocal delivery. I've always been a huge fan of his vocals. So for me, like, I'm not going to complain too much the, about it. But that's why I went cheesy Nicholas Sparks. Uh, We're going to go round and round on this track. Let's go to track four, Wind It Up, which continues the tone, at least in the beginning, with a ukulele intro. It does. As brief as that and was. And also very quickly brings in that heavy beat again. We got that kick drum Freaking again. Freaking kick drums. At least this time, the kick drum has the arms of the musician doing well, something the, as well, because eventually the other parts of the um, drum set are integrated. Well, that's because the point of this kick drum is to be more mar- of a marching beat than a heartbeat. It's supposed to feel anthemic, and, you know, kind of in the vein of a lot of pop tropes, whether it's fun or, you know... You too. Whoever. I mean, Anthemic has been done to death by tons of bands. Uh, the Killers, even in later in their career. Everyone's trying to write that song that everyone can sing along and it feels it's, almost patriotic within its own universe. And so that's what this is going for, and it's why also when we get to the choruses are repetitive, because they want you to chant along, because that's the goal. Yeah. That also explains why there's backup vocals in here, because it doesn't feel like what he's saying is strong enough to warrant everybody saying it with him unless he's going for the idea of an anthem rock song. Well, yeah, and I mean, he's so often had female backing singers in True, his albums. but this is more choir-like. Sure. This is more expanse, the crowd cheering along with him, well, saying the words because with Because, it's, it's, yeah, you're right. I mean, all it was really saying is just get up and go. Wind it up is basically reeling yourself up for that next thing you're going to do. Yeah. Um, people are telling him, no, you can't do that. He says... 
everyone everybody says I'm crazy, but but I'll I'll get my sleep when I'm dead. Well, that's a man with a lot of energy. Wind it up and let's go. Let's get to the other side. Uh, it's it's almost. I mean, I would I would say it's too energetic for me. That's not true at all though, because it's not energetic really. The song is just driven by that singular beat. It's really the only thing it has going for it. Yeah, um, it's just. I mean, I felt more engaged in in the verses to a point, but more or less. The points when the song is meant to rally you, I don't feel rallied. I don't feel the energy he's trying this to. This is convey. why this is a more appropriate time to bring up like what you had brought up in the very beginning of the first track, John, where you were just like, "Oh, it's the, the beat." Like that is really all I hear here. Yes, yeah. there are other elements. Yes, he's singing. Yes, there's a lot of other stuff going on. But but the the beat feels like, especially in the chorus, like it's crushing houses. That is how imposing it is at times. Well, also. Now this is the third track in a row where it really feels in your face. Like in in the previous two tracks as well, it was very loud and very apparent. And I'm sure here too, it stands out. I'm sure it's great well, in a club setting. Maybe Hold on forever had clapping. I mean, maybe the clapping would have been a more appropriate here to no. to further the anthemic idea. It's just some of the ideas that I don't care what he uses as a beat. I no, just no, want some content. Of, some of the things that make anthemic songs great, like the echoing, drawn out reaching for the sky vocal phrase ending. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I use this example all the time, but seriously, with the the only reason why that whole na 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 breakdown at the end of Hey Jude works is because you had six minutes of actual content leading you to that spot. Yeah. And That's, then you have three minutes of awesome, let's just get together and sway in place as we, as we just enjoy exactly. the outro. So that's Here, why this yeah. just, you know, I, it's... It's meant to give me send these messages of take it a day at the time. You're gonna do better later. Um, have it's good to have energy. Uh, if, if you fall down, pick yourself up again. It, it's these are all messages that I'm behind and I think are great to have in a song. I just you don't need song, every message. No, it's not even that. I don't care if he uses every message. It's the music doesn't support. The engagement that the lyrics and furthermore, suggest. and the music would not inspire me in no. that in that sense. Uh, I could think of other things that would, but this just doesn't cut it. Well, well, the only thing different that he does add in verse two was the banjo. Yes, he throws yes. in a banjo, which, which actually, yeah, it was as random as that is. I thought it was a nice touch. Um, well, so. they've they, they've had that sound for a while. Rob's had that sound for a while, like interspersed with his music. My, my favorite what, song, banjo from- interludes. No, just a plucky instrument like that, whether it sounds like a mandolin or a banjo or a uke. My favorite song, Unwell, what, had that. Had that kind of plucky little enjoyment. Although in that case, I believe it was just a guitar, but yes. It's the, an acoustic guitar, but it's it was tuned a little bit or it was set a little bit differently to be more reminiscent of those instruments. Uh, that, that little idea, the banjo, when I heard Rob Thomas, that's what I expected a lot more in this album. I will say, though, that this song, upon reflection, I like more when comparing it to the track that follows. One shot. The fun song, or the first of the fun songs. But now by fun, not we mean not May fun I just interject to say, this is, just fun this, is narrow, about, uh, this is probably our most negative in a while. I mean, I don't mean to be so so belligerent here. It's just, I, 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 I'm... I really wanted more of at least what I got in track one, and, it's, and it's, yes. it feels like it's just losing steam. I'm a fan of Rob Thomas and a fan of Matchbox 20. Here, it's just I'm grasping at straws to find what I like, um, or what is even engaging. And in track five, there's even less to get engaged in. I mean, like John said, you know, it's Rob Thomas does fun, 
you know, fun the proper noun, not the band. Noun. Yeah. yeah, the band. And it's just, you know, I, there's no substance here. With Rob Thomas, I expect more than that. Even on the songs that are a little cheesy or a little very or very pop infused, I at least expect some semblance of content. And there's not much to be found here at all. There's a lot of things that that made me say the word fun. That made me actually call out him as emulating this band. It was the the subtle borrowing of island themes, the subtle tribal choruses, the actual backup choruses singing along with them, and probably the most indicative thing, the i i i's. That's actually more indicative of One Republic, who did that even yeah, more. Yeah, maybe and, so. And their album had a ton of that. In fact, I think the thing here that is most like fun is really the the beat that we found in the last track, which means that in this track, I think actually I'm going to curb it a little bit. I'm, I'm not going to make that direct comparison. It's, it's the heavy march-like beat. That's what I, I guess in my head is really what, what fun is all about. But here, you think you were correct in, in pointing out the island theme. The island theme, um, the the whole rhythm here the 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 hemiola that da, 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 da. that deal is like from the beginning of the track to the end of the track it, it's it's got this it, alone it doesn't really sound like anything but when you consider the drum beats and everything it, it's got a kind of a warm islandy vibe actually the the band that we've reviewed the band that i think probably is most similar to it is a very odd case because there's such an age gap here and that's Sean Mendez which we reviewed back in episode 143 who was only 16 years years old he's the youngest artist we've ever reviewed and he had a lot of islandy Jason Mrazy type stuff in his work and I feel that that's a little bit closer to what's going on here that's not saying like oh well he's on a 16 year old's level but it is saying that they're choosing the exact same path and that path is one of radio play that is a little more easygoing and and the theme is just as easygoing. Granted, it may not be the whole get up and go, uh, doesn't have the energy of the last track. In fact, it, it's really more of a promising track of, well, we get only one shot in our lives. The, our life is the one shot, so get it right. You know? Yeah, but they hammer that point home. I mean, the chorus is literally, the entire chorus is, we get one shot, blank. And the blank is different every line of the chorus, but the first half... To get it right. <coughs> so hold on tight. So, so let, let it ride. ride. Live your life. Yeah, go all night. Just... In many ways... Actually, I can't even tell whether this isn't the same image. Uh, excuse me. It isn't the same message as the previous track. It really is. It was just a slight little subtle shift. It's just another angle of positivity. Um, great message. It, but it, It's a great message, but it do, the track itself doesn't say a lot beyond the message. It just states it. It doesn't give a metaphor for it. It doesn't explain it. It doesn't add personal experience. It literally states a message. That's it. Matter of all the times that you've brought up emotions in the in the in the, in the middle of tracks and try to relay what certain tracks mean to you and whatnot, I appreciate it. But this is this is the moment where I feel it really needs something, yeah, at least I musically, agree. to to bring me in and let me feel the positivity that he's feeling and all the different shades of positivity. Because as I go from last track into this one. I feel no change. Oh, I feel like I'm in the same exact environment, and I feel like he should really be focusing on these subtle variances of, of how to more positively value life. Clapping. We get clapping as the bridge. There's that. There's that which is something. That's something different. Yes, yeah, but not, yes. It doesn't add Clap. any of those things yeah, that we okay, were just talking about. Okay, let's take the beat. When is clapping an emotion? <laughs> I don't know. It's you cheering. You clap when it's, you're happy. It's anthemic. I don't know at this point. It's hard to tell the difference between... So many of these different ideas. It feels like this track is almost more suited to kids, come to think of it. Even just I mean, from the overall, I mean, the musical vibe of it feels like it's very 
it, it's easily accessible. As I stated before, he has done tracks that are digestible and for kids' movies, so it, it's possible that that's an intent to the structure and sound. I can't speak to that too much. I mean, thankfully, after this track, we do get something that's a bit of a reprieve from the loops we're kind of running in, at least. Yeah, um, just to, to, to wrap up, though, I do I do want to stress, it, I'm not, I'm not like pissing on the message here yeah because it's a good thing that he's that he's trying to convey the uh one of the um toward, toward the middle end of the track i really like the stanza i know everything could fall apart we get one chance to make this kickstart turn on your lights because we are made of stars and i want to let it shine yeah it's a little cliched but still the idea that everything could fall apart in one moment it, it, it's a good message no yeah i i it's the opposite and more accurate message of yolo like yolo is you only live once this is yeah this it's, is uh, a better, more concise explanation of YOLO because YOLO is dumb. But this, this is this is the Shakespearean version of YOLO. Well, it's mostly it's you get one shot, not that you only live once, but that you only get one shot. I'm having deja vu concise. here to the uh, conversation that we may have had on air toward the whole irony behind the the YOLO statement. Well, in of that course, you only the, get one life, and it's used as an excuse to throw it away by right. doing something. Well, there's dumb. also the Lonely Islands and you YOLO and how you should be afraid of everything because of it. That was a nice little turn of irony. But in fact, just the fact that you brought that up, it makes me really question some things about like that final line. I say we let it ride. The line he keeps going down to because I really don't know what that means. I yeah. don't know whether this is like a secret, like you know, do something crazy because. YOLO, or or whether it is more just value every second. I think it's, it's more... Really, it's a fine line when you really think about That's it. That's true. Let it ride is a betting metaphor, so I'm assuming it's something more along the lines of danger instead of being... I don't. I, I don't know. I, I. It's. It's just that whole idea. Yeah, but go all night. I don't. I, <laughs> at the craps table. I don't know. Yeah, right. That's kind of track six. The title track, the great unknown. Here we get some content. Which I'm very excited about. It's not a ton, but it's some, especially comparatively. Con- All right. It's content. So the, the song starts with a soft bass work that I really like, and it's the most prominent, at least initially, that the bass is, because it's kind of flying solo in the beginning with some echoey vocal work. It actually this is the first track to really allow me to sink in, or allow itself to sink into the sadness a bit, both both mm-hmm. musically and thematically. The bass here, in particular, is something that really stands out, um, and especially around 42 seconds. I, I believe this was right at the time that we get the first chorus. Uh, the way the background vocals just settle in here or, or, or really swoop in right beside this really, really warm, flowing, ambient synth sound. It's even hard to describe because it's so unlike the kinds of sounds that we had heard in this album so far. It's unlike the kinds of synths that he's gone back to, which are more from an 80s uh, from an 80s era. This, this was really more in line with, with alt-pop, uh, even beyond that, more in line with a, like a post-rock thing. It, it, at least that was the initial idea, and I was really warming up to it. And when the drums actually come in, the percussion comes in, it's not an oppressive kick drum. And that was the most welcome thing of the entire track. That first chorus, when they, they're muted, they're deep, they're subtle. The Subtle drums are something we have not had on this album. Subtle, yeah. It actually reminded me of Interpol, a band which I, I always enjoyed for their atmospheric air. Some circa mid-2000s. Well, that's the word to focus on. This definitely felt at- atmospheric. It, it felt even contemplative. And one thing that Rob Thomas has always done really well is songs that are contemplative. Some of the best... When he does them. Right. The, some <laughs> of the best Matchbox 20 songs, the slower songs 
are the ones that make you think or, or ruminating songs that he's thinking. And, and so I'm really chomping at the bit on this track because I'm getting something to at least sink my teeth into that's reminiscent of what I expect from him. And he even does some of the soundbiting from before, just interspersing ideas. And we complained about it earlier, but here these flourishes fit well within the framework. They're adding a lot of texture to the melody, which stays very steady. Everything does in this track stay very passive. Until the electric swells come in in that third verse. Well, that's in the bridge. It's not even the third verse. It's not even. It's not even a matter of like stays passive until a certain moment. I I thought that really for the most part, um, the whole entire track, because that even that was such a subtle shift that I I really didn't notice it too much. The whole entire track is fairly even, Mm -hmm. which really pained me. I think to give it a little bit of a minus mark, having really I think appreciated for what it is and and its place in this album. But it, it did, I think, exhibit the fact that there are, is a lot of creativity here that I feel was wanting, like beyond that initial idea, because it allowed a certain environment to be born out of it, if that makes any sense. And then really, they just decided to stick with those initial patterns. Everything I cited initially about the bass being wonderful, being a great pattern in and of itself. And it really does, the, the volume is kicked up on it. It, it, it. it has a nice warm, like direct input vibe to it, which contrasts really nicely against those upper synth sounds. And then it's just like by three minutes in, I find that the patterns have not changed. It's it's all the same thing. Now you might say, well, why not ruin a good thing? I think that's a valid argument, and I wouldn't argue with anyone who said that about this track. If you can immerse yourself in this from beginning to end, granted it's not that long, so it's not like it's really technically overstaying its welcome, but it, it, it did really kind of hurt me in the fact that this this didn't erupt into even just the second idea. It was just number one, and that was good enough. And I guess but I when, was a little worn by it when he when he jumps into second ideas previously though they're they don't really they hadn't been going anywhere so I'm at least happy to stay somewhere I'm enjoying it sure in context I I can't argue there um, I'm on Steve's side on this one but the, like that's the argument I had before we did the podcast I will say though but between the bridge swell which not huge but it was a moment that I enjoyed and then uh, going through the run of the chorus again and then finishing out the last chorus into uh, a nice little instrumental outro. I enjoyed it. I feel like this is the first time on the record he took a moment to let us breathe and to let the song breathe. The outro is a 30-second instrumental, and even though that's not, or 20-second, but even though that's not huge, for a relatively short track, and for what he'd been doing so far, it was huge for the record, at least. Well, let's not overlook the lyrics here, either, because, after all, it is the title track. You'd think that if we have been just noticing little angles of positivity, this would be, you know, uh, indicative of, of the whole, or encapsulate the whole in some way. It begins, people are talking. What you can't unknow and what you wanted wasn't real at all. So many people never cross that road, staring out the window of a combat zone. Chorus. So just hold on, driving through the valley of the great unknown, hoping that the headlights shine on. Everyone around you has a heart of stone, but you just roll on, just roll on. Honestly, it's the same message. Yeah. It's really the same exact message. Mm, and yet the music- It's a little bit different. A little, this one a little, is more- A little. It's- to, to go back to the Shakespeare analogy I made earlier about YOLO, this is more along the lines of Hamlet's aside. This is more suffering the slings and arrows but remaining whole kind of an idea. And is that really not 
quite the same as, well, particularly two tracks ago um, in the course of Wind It Up and Let's Go, because there were a lot of references in that track about how, you know, people are going to tell you crazy. It seems like, like people were trying to stop him along his way, that it, those would be the slings and arrows. And then the case of one shot, you only have one shot to get it right. Everything could fall apart at one second. That's a sling or an arrow. Death is the ultimate arrow. And here, it, it's just different words, same message. I just, but I won't harp that hard on someone using a repeated message in the same album. We've come across that before. Three in a row. Okay, so yes, there's a, it's, it's a bit much, but I still think that the delivery instrumentally gives me some forgiveness for this song because it, as a whole, I did enjoy it. It was it, up until It's very this point. easy from the music to really even just forget the fact that it is kind of the same message, and at least it's consistent for the album. And for me, I mean, at this point, it's probably my favorite track. Though that said, it's probably my favorite track due to process of elimination and that the other tracks are not as good, and that's a bit of a bummer when you look at it that way, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to look at it as, so far, it's one of my favorites. It, it, it also does squash my initial idea, which was just a harebrained theory that, that The Great Unknown was actually happiness, but it act, it's, it's probably what most people uh, term The Great Unknown life, essentially, yeah. and all the mysteries that are to come, uh, driving through the valley of The Great Unknown, hoping that the headlights shine on. It's just kind of, yeah, well, the next turn, you know, well, could spell your doom, so... Well, it's the fear of the unknown. Keep I it mean, up. <laughs> That's the most hu- one of the more human emotions is the fear of the unknown. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, track seven, the absence of affection. Now this, uh, and I will start with theme here because this breaks the cycle. Yeah. This is something a little bit different. It, like uh, It falls back in the end, I think, to the same cycle because it is all about, well, trying to find happiness in a moment. But, of course, the absence of affection is in this case specifically citing a, a, a woman who, well, seems to be new in, in his life. And in the absence of affection, this is the chorus, tell me why you are so alone in the absence of affection will take anything and call it love. Which is a really sweet line, but it's also the line that comes out of the would-be one-night stand that I believe he wants to turn into something bigger. Right. And... I mean, thematically, that is different from what we had been getting previously. Usually when it was talk of love, it was very romantic love and very much in the moment already. This is pre-the moment. Um, Instrumentally, this is a dance song, and this is probably the danciest song we've gotten so far. In the verses is sort of 80s, but then once we get to the choruses, it's practically... There's like this sci-fi moment of of sirenness in the choruses that just goes, oh, nope, there's the 80s. They finally showed up in this track. It was was over the course of 10 seconds, I observed. It was like in the beginning, it's like, all right, this is going to be a trance track. And it's like, oh, no, it's going to be an 80s trance track, if they even really called it trance back then. But it was that was the 10-second experience. The bass, the drum box especially, uh, it seemed to be the closest on this album to that era and this is probably the third week in a row we're noticing 80s motifs I mean we've noticed it throughout all of last year yeah it was a theme Um, I think that overall though the structure of the song feels very much montage almost John I have a metaphor this is my metaphor of the day oh god it was the rom-com love song of the guy after he couldn't quite get the girl, couldn't quite seal the deal of the girl. He meets the other girl, the girl that's wrong for him, in the club. He sees her across the room, and you have to hear the music to know that you're in a club. But it's the sort of club music that you don't really have to hear because you said you're focusing on the beautiful girl that he's about to get with and make a mistake and or not make a mistake and realize he's in love with the first girl. But this is the rom-com. This, this song sums up, like... Not even just a trope in music, but a trope in movies for like the past 30 some odd, 40 some odd years. That's pretty 
I don't know if it's good or not. I, it's pretty something. It's specific. Um, I don't know. I feel like as a whole the track was fun, but I would agree it's not super deep. I feel like John's description of where the song could be utilized in a movie is not inaccurate. Um, big, but, no, but, I, I'm, I'm, but, I'm kind of with John on this particular one. I think that, uh, yeah, the absence of a... Like, I see it. At least this has a narrative. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's the narrative I gave. I mean, that's what it well, is. that's the narrative I, in the song. Unlike the vagaries that we've had up to this point, where it's it feels like you could kind of put yourself in any environment. The song can exist in any environment or apply to any person. This, at least, is a very specific story, and I, I'm at least immersed into his world. So, sure, that's a time for movie making. But... And it, I feel there is an emphasis on the song here, which I feel like maybe you're going to disagree with. I feel like there is a much well, heavier emphasis on the song that would really justify it being used in a film where there was no dialogue. I agree. My big issue with the song, though, we'll take it out of what if it's doing thematically and what it's doing actually in the musical realm. The metronomic nature of all this heavy kick drum synth is once again breaking apart from his vocals. It took me a while to warm up to, um, and I will admit that I like the second verse more than the first, but this was a more personable track, and I think I, it's hard to really explain why on a musical level I enjoyed this more. I think it's because you could even feel in his singing that he was telling a tale, yeah. rather than just uh, inviting everyone to sing along to what? Well, <laughs> also a narratively driven song allows someone to relate to a specific experience, so if someone had experienced this specific thing, You'd be more drawn in, and sure. you'd be able to understand better. Again, I again, I don't, I don't dislike this song. I think it's fun, and if I were dancing to it at a wedding, I, you know, if it came on at a wedding, I dance. Feels narrated here. You got your flash friends waiting to meet you. They're stuck like butterflies upon the wall, and in the nightlife, no one can beat you. Oh, you look so pretty. It's a pity just to touch you. Which is, by the way, a really sweet line in of itself. That's the whole old-fashioned, like, you know, two touches to actually ruin the beautiful thing and almost like the Victorian era of, uh, of just, you know, withholding. Um, but you never know when it's going to fall. You never know when it's going to fall. So you fake it until you make it and beat your head against the wall. This strikes me as the thing that is doomed, that, that will eventually be doomed. He's not yeah. going to be able to, they're not going to work out. Yeah. Uh, I think John termed it earlier, expanding on the movie idea that she's not right for him. Yeah. Um, yep. That's kind of written the cards, but whatever, they're going with it. Because, again, album theme. Just, just, just try it. Just try it. Dare I say YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> God, dare you not. Uh, um, Thankfully, but, the word has really died. I feel like it's even latent for us to be bringing, bringing up the it up. word. No, it, I agree. It, it, was, I it was showing our age at this a point. A wonderful, so okay. wonderful fad that just lasted our age for a for month. three years plus. All right. Anyway. Um, track eight. So track eight, Things You Said. The reason I didn't mind the kick drum in the last track is because it was blended well with the other 80s stuff. Here, however, front and center again. No, no, no. No, no, no. There's something really amazing in this track, and it lasts approximately six seconds. Oh, okay. It's magic in the very number. beginning. We get that driving beat, but this driving beat is paired with some nice t uh, piano touches, and I don't know how else to explain it, but the 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 techno version of a deep war. It's a weird high pitch yet lower register. It's a sound effect. There's definitely it's a, a great sound little effect sound on the effect, track. and it was very interesting for me. It was it was a, a combination of the natural and the artificial coming together that could have expanded into like a really epic techno song a really epic club song and then he completely gets rid of it all for a kick drum and a guitar yeah and i was at, at that six ish second mark i got pissed 
<laughs> I got legitimately pissed as soon as that went away. I mean, the, 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 this track had an odd structure as a whole. I mean, it was still verse chorus because all of his tracks are verse chorus, but it, at points it's trying to be techno. At points it's trying to be acoustic rock. There's a weird mini monologue from some dude in the middle that's literally a recording of someone speaking something. I just, I the, don't know. The verse really doesn't match with the chorus as well. It the, just seems the first all over the place. Is is it's the the usual direction that we've gotten of the beat and a guitar. When the chorus comes in, it's just so much more cluttered, so much more electronicified. I, I, that I did I just, notice mm. that that when we go to the chorus from the verse, from the, uh, that's we describing from the mm-hmm. verse into the chorus, that it almost felt like a like a, a non sequitur, like it, yeah. there wasn't didn't feel like we were using the same material. Furthermore, it was really an odd choice, although I'm not going to dispute it because, frankly, I'll take any any bit of variance. It was an odd choice for that first chorus to be so so weakened and, and, and like, muffled compared yeah. to the second chorus that comes later that almost doesn't make it sound like the same material. It is, but it but it's it's just a little more intense, more in line with, with the rest of the song and the rest of the album, utilizing the, uh, the heavy beat and everything alongside the... the Acoustic guitar. I don't know. I think the acoustic guitar even got kind of buried after a little while. I think yeah. it was only there really in the beginning where it was, yeah, that's it was strange verse. that it was pairing the acoustic guitar alongside the beat, which was so overbearing in its own right. I almost saw that as kind of a cheap shot. Like, really, you're trying to come at me from both sides here? Like, oh, it's a, it's a sweet song, acoustic, but it's also something you can dance along to. Well, it's like, beat. <laughs> I think the big problem here is the song does a but it doesn't feel like an evolution because it just feels a little disjointed. Like it couldn't decide on itself in a a sense. Verse 2 was heavy electronica oriented. The second chorus was even more cluttered. There was even more electronica tones just thrown right into it. And that R&B-esque breakdown destroys the flow for me. I don't think uh, clutter is the term. It implies there was more here than there was. It was still a lot of patterns just kind of reworking themselves. But it it did make me realize that one of my biggest problems so far in this album really has been the production work. That said, I don't know if maybe the songs themselves, the bare the bare songwriting really gave the production guy a lot to work with, and maybe he just figured like, alright, well, this will intensify it. And I feel like that was the choice for so many of these tracks that could have maybe taken another route, I really can't say. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, this this song, um, it just it. I wouldn't say that it was cluttered. I'd say it was busy a bit. Like there was stuff going on, but yeah, it didn't it feel cacophonous. It was just busy. Um, and then there yeah. was the fact that the intro came in in little spurts. It was just thrown in there here the, and there. The effect that, that you liked yeah. it kept pissing me off in well. in many ways. It kept going. Hey, here was that idea that we just decided not to use. Next track, track nine. Paper Dolls. Featuring Rudy, R-O-O-T-Y, um, a new uh, pop vocalist, I believe. I do okay. also just want to say that if, we're, if we are continuing in the, in, the, in, the, in the theme of this album so far, it sounds like whatever we had um, built and hoped for two tracks ago was kind of destroyed in the last track, considering yeah. the title, Things You Said, uh, and it was, it, they were already done from one track into the next. So uh, perhaps this is an expansion on the same story. I don't know. And this seems like the first time the story is actually getting deep. It's thematically evolving into something that's real. Because in Paper Dolls, we don't get a kick drum right away. We don't get something like that just showing up in our face. It starts with a nice little piano intro and has texture in the percussion as opposed to a rhythm. And this 
this is one of the most startling introductions on the album purely because of how pared down how honest and earnest it feels yeah and by the fact by virtue of the fact that the rhythm is is not absent but it's it's not the focus for sure uh, it's almost like he's singing in this more empty reverb heavy environment like he's talking to the clouds it's again back to the whole atmosphere thing and I think the keyboard really works in well with it and then from there it launches into uh, at least by the chorus it launches into a, a kind of a slow jam mm-hmm. like everything is just the accents are pretty far apart here if 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 it is in a more average, like, 100 BPM setting, then, you know, this, these accents would be, like, every measure or, or at least every two beats or something like that. And it's a big crash and you feel the weight of it. There's something so paced about this compared to everything else in the album. And also, on this album, we've got... Previously, we've had female backing vocals throughout the album, but here we have a featured vocalist, Rudy, who's singing with him, and they turn this song into this kind of gorgeous duet where sometimes they're singing together in tandem, mm-hmm. sometimes they're calling and responding. It's, it's hard to find that it is Rudy, in fact. Apparently, she's a very new uh vocalists only was announced i think by rob thomas on twitter or something like that and then linked to her twitter account so uh knew the field and i thought she did a pretty good job it was beautiful i mean it, it added emotionality to the the singing that we hadn't really heard yet on the record and even the bass and the techno shows up again in that second verse but it's like a tapping little accent techno it's sort of pretending to be a piano at points but it's so not the focus. Uh, the music here is really backing up the vocals. And when she's singing, I am just listening to her and enjoying her. I'm enjoying this story because it is heartbreaking, sad. It isn't just, you only live once, so let's all enjoy life. This is actual pleading. It's deeper. And it's a slow reveal also because you, at first, start off with just uh, Rob Thomas's vocals in, in, the, in the first verse, and then I think the chorus was also Rob Thomas's vocals. I, I don't think it was until verse two where it's the suddenly fresh Rudy's vocals, and, and it was it was nice to kind of not, again, throw all your cards in, in toward the beginning, which has been one of my critiques throughout the album. Here we get something new some seconds into the track. Better not look down, because it's going to be a long way to fall. This is our last chance, and it's everything or nothing at all. Don't make me a fool, darling. Don't make me crawl. And that chorus, because I don't know how we got this far. I don't know when we became who we are. The war goes on behind these walls. You and me are just worn paper dolls. I mean, it's just it's so. And, 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 that, and when they're singing in unison, and that chorus, and that chorus, it is a duet. Oh, yeah. oh it's so good. And it's, it's so good. But the imagery is so strong. Um, you know, you and me are just worn paper dolls. Like you can picture those people. You can picture the bruises. You can picture the emotional scarring, physical possible. Like you picture these tired, worn-out people, and, and I I love that. Even though it was a pretty quick arc, all things considered, uh, yeah. since he was so optimistic for so long, and it's not like most most albums. I, I Maybe I'll credit it for this. It does Unlike most albums where it takes forever for the breakup to occur, like, we've had so many albums, uh, face it, breakup albums are common, just yeah. in general, oh, right? Absolutely. But it's like a lot of them lately have taken their time just immer- immersing themselves into every little aspect of the breakup, and who was feeling what, at what time, and then there's usually a rebound somewhere in there, and we don't get into, like, the end of the story until the very last track. There's not a lot of, like, 
healing, or if there is a lot of healing, you gotta hear about that. But here, all things considered, it took about two tracks for it to happen. It was really just in things you said, and they were already done. It went from positive to one night stand to being done, and now all of a sudden we're here. Unless this is referring to the earlier relationship that perhaps, um, absence of affection was kind of bypassing. Which is an interesting, an interesting story, even though it wasn't really, uh, said outright. All said and done, it became a sort of a pseudo-industrial that reminded me very much of Evanescence, of old-school Evanescence. Oh, definitely. And that is the biggest compliment I could probably give on this album so far. They did a song from in a style and in a band and in a duet style I love because Save Me was one of those songs that was just, for its time, an incredible duet just to really showcase how you can empower both sides of the argument. And here they're doing the same thing. Everyone's getting their fair share, and they're working in tandem by the end of it. I love that. Evanescence is one of those bands where they weren't... I, I didn't enjoy them at the time in which they were popular only because they were really overplayed to me. But Everybody I've, played I've, everything I've, by them. Yes. Absolutely, and and they were diehard fans, and I was just a little bit overstimulated with it. But then years later, I went back and I was... You can't argue with Amy Lee's vocals. They well, were Amy just Lee they were was... phenomenal, and they were unique. She brought something fresh to the table in, in her own way of sounding kind of... Kind of flat and enigmatic, but also at the same time soaring. And like, it's this weird, this weird middle ground between like an, an extremely emotional verse and also something that is almost deadened inside. And if I heard that through Rudy here in this track, I'd say that's an utter success. Well, yeah, Amy Lee was a vocalist who it's undeniable her talent. Uh, the problem was she knew it too and dumped her whole band after that first record. Yeah, it wasn't good after that. No, I think dumped every band after that and had released other. Records records but knew she was the star of the show Mm. that's neither here nor there yeah I agree and I think that comes from a place also with Rudy that her vocals like Amy Lee's invoke emotion just when she opens her mouth like it's 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 how she sings and when she sings in and besides a little bit in the great unknown this is the first time I'm feeling emotion besides sort of a hollow, ah. superficial YOLO emotion. Um, no, I, I'll disagree. There were some tracks where even though the tracks were fairly superficial, I still got some sense of contemplativeness, at least from his vocals or something else. I will say, though, it has not been common. I won't say that there were only two tracks that had it, but the number's from not From my much. point of view, there's only been two tracks. Right. The number isn't much higher than that, though. But let's talk about the next track, N-L-Y-T-M. For those who are playing along... It means not like you told me, which yeah. I only, you only realize the third or fourth or fifth or sixth time you hear it in the chorus. This song starts out with like a d- deep synth sound that almost feels like it's it trying. It's kind of moogie almost. Yeah, it, it feels like it's trying to do R&B, but it's not really like it's pop leaning towards it. Nah, I don't it, know. It felt, it felt 80s to me with a strange modern twist. Um... But let me tell you, this track almost, this is the jump the shark moment for this album a little bit, if you consider these opening lines. Man, I heard it go boom, boom, boom from the back of my room, but my feet don't move because I'm stuck like glue. Now, just the first line especially. I guess he goes into other things, but I, 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 I don't... Like, sometimes when I feel light, when I like the way we're looking, in the phantom streetlight, oh my god, it's another one down. You have to put the inflection into it to really get... I mean, you were doing I it. Was I, you were doing, I was laughing out loud. I was laughing out loud when I first heard him go, man, and go boom, boom, boom on the back of my... I don't know. It just didn't... When you combine that with, like, the rhythm and everything, this whole, like, this this stuttered kind of rhythm, one, and two, three, and... One, and two, three, and... 
and there's that that in the background, and he's kind of singing right along with it. Man, it go boom, boom, boom from the back of my room. I just it it felt so silly. I I had a hard time taking it seriously and reading further into what he's really saying. And what was that opening uh opening uh the the title again? What does it mean? Not like you told me, which is it's the the chorus. It's not like it's not like you told me. I'm sitting here sad and lonely. It's not like it's not like you told me. I'm giving up. I'm giving in. Except those are non sequiturs. It's not like you told me I'm giving up, I'm giving in. Wait, why is it going through through there? Like, why is she telling you what you're doing? I mean, I, that's a very controlling relationship, but I don't see that presented <laughs> here. No, what really strikes me as odd is keeping with the theme of likening a lot of this music to earlier 2000s and 90s is he sounds sort of like Ricky Martin, at least in inflection, at least in his delivery, which is odd because that doesn't sound like Rob Thomas to me. The vocals here are a little bit too jaunty. It fits the track, but it doesn't really feel like the persona we've grown to know in this album. I, I was a little confused as to exactly what. Um, that is to say, it's not like you told me what. What? What was it? Well, he's, I mean, that my, my inclination... He, she didn't tell him. I it's, guess the relationship... Well, the inclination is it's not like you told me I I'm sitting here sad and lonely. I guess saying, not like you told me I'd ex- I'd I should expect that going in. Uh, that's the sense I'm getting. But who I don't would get say that? that? I don't. Who know. in their right and, mind and here's would the say, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to leave you in five years." Here's the, and here's I don't even think it's that long. What the? I don't care. I don't here, here's the real big thing. The message even gets further lost because the, the chorus is, is a jumble. The chorus just goes big. The track decides not to commit anywhere else except the chorus. The chorus is just where everything takes place musically. Uh, it loses everything. It, it's. Yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm wandering at this point. Man, it goes boom, boom, boom just a little too soon, and my head gets fooled because I can't think straight. Like sometimes when it's real life, when you like the way it's looking, but you just don't feel right, just hold up. Here it comes now. It's let down. Let it out. Let it start moving around. You can barely stand up now. Then you start to wonder where you'll land if you fall down. What? This is the same. Yeah, there was it was a really awkward way of right. Maybe maybe I'm just reading it awkwardly. I'm sure that's no, no, part no, of it. No, no, no. It's awkward. It's. I, it also, I'm still kind of going back to the original thing. I think we're back to the same message here again. I feel like this song is already kind of turning around, but at least it is starting to infuse a little bit of the idea of what happened to lead him to this particular place of optimism where he still wants to turn things around. It's just the still he presents the uncertainty. He doesn't know where he'll land. I I don't know. For, it's for the, too late in the album for me to really okay. start like but there's other caring nitpicks. about this there's story. There's other nitpicks. We get another breakdown where the... The beats being smothered by pillows. We get another yep. tapping rise introduction. It sounds back into almost the like a drone at one point because of it. I mean, it's just I don't know. I I didn't have as much to say about this track as the next track, oh, mostly fuck. because I just felt kind of lost. Overall, the track went nowhere, and then the the lyrics just kind of it it feels like, and this is how I will describe the it's, track as a whole. It feels like it's stuck in a kind of nether world. It's like it like it's even stagnant for the album. Like I I may criticize individual tracks for not changing very much over the course, but this track in particular really had it had this like purgatory air. Um, considering the overall the overall structure of the album and in terms of some of the intensity and some of the moments of sadness the the overall feel of this just felt like it it, it wasn't it wasn't quite committing to either one or the other 
it felt like it was just a track thrown on because it was something that he had written and didn't know where to put it. No, no, no. I no, no. I, 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 I'm, I'm. I'll, I'll argue that. Okay. I think it's a very abrupt way to fit the story. I'm saying like the feeling that it left me is oh. that it didn't really have much of a commitment toward being uh, a, a happy track or a sad track. It's Got just it. to put it in those binaries. It really felt like this like enigmatic middle ground. It felt um, that nebulous. Even, yes, that even that even he himself could not really. It wasn't no, that he didn't know how to feel at this moment. Right. So in that case, it, maybe it's accomplishing its mission. Then it's accomplishing it its mission. It just doesn't make numb. It doesn't make for great music. <laughs> so far in this album, we've had a lot of. Laughing gas tracks, like they they give you a burst of like that was a the whole feeling. the whole beginning of this album. Yeah, was that. we got that burst of energy of what the idea of the track would be, but it ends up wearing off fairly quickly, and we're just kind of where we were before we started. Emotionally, if you started feeling nothing, you didn't really feel nothing by the end. In most of the most of the album up to this point, here this is full fledged just Novocaine. It's just leaving me numb. I don't really feel anything for this track. It's just, eh. Well, it ends on a question, too. I mean, each chorus ends. Who's going to be there to hold me when someone brings me down? Uh, like, well, he seemed pretty sure earlier in the album. He seemed pretty sure with, like, maybe not that he would know when he where he'd land, but at least he was he was an optimistic guy. And now here, it's just a flat-out question mark. So it the, the tone of the track reflects the character, and I give it that at least. Sure. I mean, also, there's no rule that says it has to be chronological, so this could be pre that moment where he found somebody or something. I don't know. No, we, we could have done a memento thing in here. I don't know. Who knows? Track 11, Heaven Help Me. Well, Which it... was not a single, by the way, but it was released earlier uh, than the rest of the uh, tracks. This was one of the first glimpses into this album. So this it... reminds me of a lot of 90s pop or early 2000s pop it's got a beach friendly feel it reminded me of soak up the sun by Charles crow only for like the first like six seconds though because of the kind of sweet nature if we had sort of an ambiguous feel in the previous track this goes even further because the percussion especially i really like the drum rolls right before the chorus comes in that was a nice little piece of flair the percussion is very simplistic i don't know about you the, but i'm all about the chords here frankly. yeah I the like strumming the guitar is doing a little more than it had previously the bass, particularly the nice bass. that's in the chorus but even earlier than that in the in the in the verses it's all just about the specific the, the chords he chose i this is a really minor point since really it, it's it's it starts off with just these two chords that are, are composed most of the verse it does change it up a couple more times after that but really the most interesting thing about this track does to me personally comes down to the fact that he's using seventh chords and instead of like some of the other tracks all right fine we didn't use sevenths i know that's a, such a minor point oh great he added a seventh right but it's 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 the motion that it starts off on the on the four on on a major four d flat major seven and then it goes down to an a flat major seven so the four one motion and then later on he starts he starts changing that up further but it's not just four one it's four Four, four major seven down to one major seven, and it was a really great feeling of resolution with just a little bit more density in it. It's silly that this actually makes a difference, but it actually makes the track just a little bit of chordal density makes it feel a little bit, a little bit heavier, a little bit more serious, and that's why I, I, I thought that all right, maybe I can, I can be drawn into this on a musical level, if not the uh, thematic level. 
But he's being more ambiguous when he's ta- when he starts actually singing. In the lyrics and the vocals, it's it's less committal than the previous track for me. Yeah, I that, agree that, with that chorus. You can't go back, heaven help me. We've gone too far when we can't be the ones we want. This is who we are, who we are. All right, well, first you're really not giving me any idea of what your character was beforehand, but you're really not doing a very good job explaining who you are now. <laughs> because the difference is that first verse, in the evening when the stars shine down and all the bridge and tunnel girls come out, we can dance until the waterfall. We can dance until the walls fall down, because tonight we own this town. But in the morning when the sun's on fire, I'm burning through you like razor wire. When we see ourselves in passing windows, we feel like hell everyone knows. Okay, what he's describing here is sort of a summation of all the previous tracks. Well, yeah, the, it's kind of like an aftermath how of the one-night stand. But... but you can't go back to who you are. We can't be who we used to be. This is exactly who you used to be. This is everything you've given me the first ten tracks. <laughs> You're being disingenuous. You're quite angry about this. It's it's disingenuous. Well, that's, the, that's, that's exactly, yeah. But I, but I think you're looking at it with too much of a fine-tooth comb, and that's why you're finding it disingenuous, because, well, that's what we do, so we're supposed to do that. But my point is... I think the verses are meant to set up the chorus. Yes, the verses are pretty much the amalgamation of everything that came before it, but the verses specifically in this song set up the chorus, which is why it doesn't feel disingenuous to me. It just is confusing. And that's actually fairly appropriate because when it goes from chorus to verse, it loses one element and it's the same exact melody. This is an A, A prime, A setup. I mean, they don't even disguise how how similar the two ideas are it's it's a through line that was my biggest problem with the track i mean uh, barring a theme which i actually think john makes a good point if there is a, a, a thematic um inconsistency here well that's something you the listener can argue in the court of appeals i.e the comments section um but as far as the music goes as far as the structure goes that once again turns out to be my biggest issue uh john's right it, it really does not take away or add anything throughout this track. The individual elements, the melody, the bass, the even the chords are, yeah, they shift up a little here and there, but in general, the flow is very similar from verse to chorus to verse to chorus, um, and, and it's just, it feels so stagnant. Like, I think there's one element, absolutely, just, just one element, this, this, like, two-measure-long synth that is present in the chorus, it's not present in the verse. And it's just a kind of a drone. It's a single synth drone that lasts for about two measures and then it changes its chord, the next two measures, and, and vice versa. That's what it does for the duration of the chorus. It's gone in the verse, leaving the verse a little more, more hollow. Well, whoop de doo that verses are generally a little more hollow than choruses, and that's the one difference. Other than that, every other pattern is basically just consistent, which makes this track, once again, despite my really... My, my optimism when I cited something I really liked in the first few seconds, the chords in this case, really disappointed. It made me disappointed because of that. I, I, it, it took a good thing and it, well, it didn't ruin it. It just left it, left it be. It let it stagnate. Especially that bridge, that breakdown where it becomes just a single guitar strum. No, that yeah, but he's done line. that like four other no, times no, no, no. on the record. But it's at least he did something a little bit different. It wasn't just that breakdown to just a single strum. It was the abruptness of going back into the chorus. It wasn't even an interlude at this point where you had a tapping rising guitar or something like that. Everything just comes back at once. Boom. 
We got boom, 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 boom in the previous track. We don't need boom, boom, boom anymore. Well, I don't think you're going to get very much out of this track if you're just looking at the chorus, but in the verses, a shot of neon in a window pane, a shot of whiskey, and we end again. You're moving further, but you just can't win. And that's the way it's always been. You don't want to let your life go by, so you give until the well runs dry. But when you lose your faith, it never comes back. And time don't wait. Now you know that. Ah, it's the same theme. I can't. I can't. Yeah. I can't beat a dead horse on this. We we already have. I feel like All on right. this track at least. I think that uh, we we are best to move on to the second to last track. So then we can sooner get to the final track. The second <laughs> to last track is track twelve. Lie to me, and or this, as I like to call it, the other fun song. So this lie to me, I will say, especially when it starts, that. I, I'm intrigued because it has more of an industrial sound, which we haven't really heard, but as in industrial get, music, not the industrial system. But we do get those those another new element, yes. Instead of I, I, I's, we have yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate you, John. I, I know, I know. But here's the problem. I hate you more. That, mm, that was like the most different thing about this track over I, anything else. That industrial idea has shown up a little bit before. Yeah, I'm but I'm gonna give it more credit than that. Yeah. I think honestly, it was a pretty. Uh, given the album, it's a pretty uh, stark musical contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying something else. All right, great. Uh, I actually like it when you get to sit with the more atmospheric stuff. For instance, mm-hmm. there was a little flutter in the beginning of this track that I really liked. Just this little synth that, that flutters along, and I whatever chord that it was rolling along, I, I, I enjoyed that as well. And then on top of that, we add this industrial um, backdrop, which it had me to a point, and then the same critique steps in. Granted, it's stepping in at least in a different environment, in a different musical environment, but I felt like it had kind of just dropped the industrial feel after like maybe the, a couple verse of chorus or so, and then, it, or maybe it was the choruses particularly that just felt identity-less. Well, yeah, the, next to them, the industrial verses next to the kind of synthy plain choruses yeah. did feel very separate. What I and admire, then the pattern is the same, and that's the critique, <laughs> right? And but although even though the the pattern was the same, when it does build a little bit, I felt. But what it builds to wasn't as enjoyable as the initial. I just don't know. Um, it's, what it builds to doesn't depends. feel like it's natural. The only uh, thing that, no, that feels like a through line depends. What do you see? That, what do you see building to here? Be specific. I'm, well, I mean, like the the way the industrial sounds kind of move. When we get to the synthy choruses, I feel like it's emotionally oh, kind of like a step okay, up, if the chorus like a progression. Is, if the chorus is the height. But then again, if you're seeing the climax of the entire track here, I think, frankly, that's probably more the bridge. No, yeah. The, the bridge. bridge. No, and, for sure. And the bridge is the one exception to this. Because in general, all right, yeah, we don't have a lot of variation. But the bridge is actually an area in which I will pull back completely, and I'll dart back to track one, yeah. in which... I really, really enjoyed his vocals. And now, yeah. I, I, all right, his vocals have been good throughout the album, but I haven't, like, cited that one moment, except maybe the duet. But then you have to credit also the other, the female vocalist just as much as him. They both made it made it a great song. But here, it's him alone, and he's owning it just like he did in the first track. The melody got really beautiful in this bridge. Well, yeah. Just for the course of the bridge. But, I, like, as brief as that is, it, it is so important to stress how beautiful that melody is. I think it's it's um, it's um probably going to pick up the album just a little bit for me uh, in the aftermath. Well, I agree, especially you since... You can't hurt the talent. Uh, well, yeah, especially considering also with his vocals, that piano in the bridge kind of lifts the song out of this kind of doldrum it was in. But, but all in all, it, it does, I think, structurally have the same problems we've cited before. I don't think that's anything new. Actually, there is one little odd... 
thing I noticed about this track, and that's the bass. I enjoyed the bass. I did like what I it did. I remember that. It but was it kind felt... of felt it was a whirring, like gurgling sound, yeah. and it, it it felt it like it was kind of going against the rhythm. It had its own little intriguing bit of it was it was awesome in its way. So you know what? I'm not. I, I might be pulling back on this. The patterns may be stagnant, but frankly, that's a great pattern, and I could have sat with that, and I did for the for the track. Actually, I feel like in some ways you were forced to sit with it because it felt like it was mixed. A little bit too forefront. Mm, it was I hard. disagree there. No, yeah, I disagree too. The production work from is my not quite... okay. No, from my ears, yeah, it was. It was in your face. It did hurt some of the other things that were going on there. Not that I was minding that, but you can't tell me that to my ears it wasn't that well, too far forward. Well, no, I'm saying that production-wise it wasn't, but I'm understanding what you're saying by you noticed it more. It was more in your face because... It wasn't even that I noticed it. It was like I didn't notice other things. But then again, like like Steve said, I enjoyed the bass. It was right. really interesting. I just wish it was a little more varied. Like That could have been maybe a focal point of, of changing the melody, of fooling around with it because of, of where it was placed musically. That's a personal experience. Yeah. I will say, though, lyrically, this calls back to the theme we had earlier and it's kind of like an aftermath of everything going down because this is more you know trying to get someone to come to you and that you'll give them everything you'll give them your all which is a theme we saw earlier on and we're seeing again um which you know it it it, i don't know i i feel like yes of course you should go to that place again but it feels like we've been there already so the album is starting thematically to loop on itself which bugs me a little bit um just going further in the lyrics here like toward the end it does start to get a little bit more intense considering he starts off i think with the the theme you mentioned and it feels like he's seeking something real and has been seeking something real ever since the uh i guess the 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 incident the regrettable incident (laughs) of uh of absence of affection so he goes into this little aside so drag me down i can't say no i'm far too gone so don't let go I'm hanging on. You feel my weight. You feel my weight. Just tell me anything. Girl, you can lie to me. I want to hear you I want to hear you sing or scream and cry to me. I'll give you everything. Go on and try for me. Just tell me anything. Girl, you can lie to me. Just tell me anything. Girl, you can lie to me. Just tell me anything. That's delusional right there. It sounds desperate. Yeah. That de- desperate and delusional. You can Except- lie to me that you'd rather live in a delusion with this this some certain someone, yeah. Then but, then face it. Well, but 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 it's a but, horrible. It was wrap up, I think. But Steve, we're not wrapped up though. He doesn't sound delusional. Why? He sounds as he, he vocally. He sounds as even as he did for the rest of the album. No, yeah, but I don't want to attribute because he has a specific singing style. So I don't f- see a fluctuation here in that sense. But I feel he, like narratively is what we're talking about. But okay, narratively I understand it, but the presentation isn't there to really meet. Get me emotionally invested okay, in this yeah, to really feel that. like he's emotionally invested in this. Um, I, it's still that 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 sweet voice we we like, but it's still the, that I, voice. I think I had just read that. Well, maybe not for that end section, but at least for the so drag me down so I can't say no. No, that was the uh, that was the bridge I was talking about, yeah, yeah, which I really really the bridge really is the that his... course that you go into at the end. I don't know if that was the course. That's the course. Sure. That's, that's the course. Yeah. And that chorus is just full of everything that the chorus does. It's just full of of, of different layers of music that yeah. that mm, just don't really complement what's going on lyrically. And that's my big issue. It's funny that I hear you write it as the chorus, and I hear feel it so more in, so intense 
especially at the end, it's just yeah. because the lines are being uttered so frequently. Like, in, you, you get a certain amount of that in earlier choruses, but then when he really starts just harping on those lines, just tell me anything, you know, you can lie to me, that's when the desperation really sets in. So let's go to the final track, 13 Pieces. So... This doesn't sound like a good end drop. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so Pieces obviously denotes that maybe it didn't work out the way he wanted to, but musically we get tried and true a piano ballad almost cookie cutter piano ballad and the fact that it's the final track that it is a piano ballad that his voice works really well with a piano ballad like we are we are as cliches you can get at how this point. many cliches rob yeah. <laughs> how many does it take it's it's not just a piano ballad it is the the, the reverb sounding as if you're singing in an empty auditorium um, it oh, is yeah, also the strings that join in later in the track because you has to be of course if you want to sound make it sound grand and epic you need to join this this solitary man and piano with an orchestra you yeah. know because it is that big is that serious there's there's the two, the two most strings yeah just all right it's just some strings but it's the two most opposed sides of the spectrum that that lets you just sit in all in all uh, in all pockets at once which I find to be a little bit of a cheap shot it's like oh no it's a personal pared down track nope it, it's a it's symphonic it's symphonic that the sheer, the sheer presence of the singer creates this choir-like nature in the choruses that strings have to erupt from the surrounding emptiness around him to, I think to, it, to compliment. I think that okay, at the end of the day, on. the presence of both of them actually makes me feel less, to be honest, because it, it feels as if it's not one or the other, and it's just both at once, and therefore not the effect of, of either. Now, for all that, there was something that Steve pointed out that was really, really cool uh, as far as an idea. The reverb changes over the course of the song, and it, that was it, that it, was it disappears. it disappears. So the reverb slowly builds, and then in the second to last moment on the track, I think it's the final, the second to last chorus, it all drops out. And it goes just piano. His, just piano and his vocals, no reverb at all. And it's simple pianos like what was in the beginning, and then it builds again to that final culminating chorus. It's strange. This is if someone just like sucks the air out again, and it's yeah. just all just is him in in his own bedroom, and it is just man and piano again with absolutely no spectator. Oh, by the way, except for the audience that's listening to the album, which is probably thousands. <laughs> I mean, millions. I, I do want to defend the track a little bit. That yes, even though all these cliches are true, and these we're super we're hyper hyper self aware of all of this stuff because it's our job to be. I, I, there is sincerity in the track. I mean, and I'm sure it's coming from a very personal place. And so I don't want to scoff all over that. I well, think that it, we have to a little because from where we're coming from, we hear this a lot. But that said, it's still a very sincere and beautiful track. It's just to our ears, it's also very familiar. I agree. I, I'm in kind of a 50-50 a though, because yeah. on one hand, uh, with what you said about the theme, I, I do believe this is coming from a sincere place, and I'll get to that in a minute, but but musically speaking, um, yes, it has a, a general beauty to it, um, from the piano to his vocals to the strings in question. And even, yeah, I kind of went back on myself. At first, I, I thought it was an odd shift to, you know, go from the the really heavy reverb-laden vocals to just absolutely zero. I thought it was in, like, what did you do? Just, you know, leave the auditorium? Suddenly now you're transported to this, this small little room? Um, that was obviously a cut. But at the end of the day, we have looked at so many of these, and I, I, 
I am developing preferences within them. Little little odd comparisons that we make between albums that where the artist doesn't even know each other, and but yet we hear the same exact thing. Now, what does that say? That just says that there's there's this idea out there that is in the ether that people pull from because it just makes for great marketing on albums. And when it doesn't have that extra certain something, when it doesn't have that extra element that says to me that it is coming from a really really heartfelt position that doesn't make me feel it. That's, I guess, what's really more important in this case. If he feels it, fine, great. Then then he has a wonderful track that he can play to himself when he feels bad. But, to, to me, I don't know. It didn't reach across. There was that, there was, it wasn't there in the melody for me. It wasn't there in, in the four chord piano progression, which I feel like certainly could have been pulled from the Axis of Awesome you know, sure. Archives. I mean, I think, I think for me, the, the real thing that failed me for this track was the album that came before it. I think no matter how sincere or sweet or comforting or engaging this track was, considering that everything that came before it for it to just be a straight up piano ballad just left me disappointed and confused. Well, then let's end on a positive note, and that's with what you said about theme, because certainly, uh, I, I am. Starting to understand uh, the progression of this album once you really read the lyrics of the last track here. We were starting to get it already, but it's like overall, the the, the album is a kind of tragedy from from the optimist's perspective. I think, um, considering he wants you to be so so positive from the beginning. He wants you to view every every corner of life, every little every little uh, uh, rock in the road. As just it's, it's not even it's barely an obstacle. It's just something that you can walk around and just truck on ahead. But then inevitably, that's not how life turns out. And after that, it's just one something coming from the right and something coming from the left. And he finds tries to find an escape and it doesn't work. And then he tries to go back to the uh, to the original thing that made him satisfied to begin with, and that doesn't work. And here at the end, he's fallen to pieces, literally. He says, "Didn't I tell you you were gonna break down? Didn't I warn you? Didn't I warn you?" Better take it easy, try to find a way out. Better start believing in yourself. We build it up, we tear it down, but we leave our pieces on the ground. We see no end, we don't see how, we don't know how. We are lost and we're falling. Hold on to me, you're all I have. All I have, hold on to me, you're all I have. There's a po positivity in there, but just the line, we leave our pieces on the ground. Yeah. You know, as if, like, these are things that are never going to... You can't fix your past. Your past is always just going to be a mess. And if they're pieces, well, you can't really clean them up. All you can do is just try to find some little sense of happiness in the moment, you know? But it doesn't sound like he's really feeling it. In, in no way, shape, or form amidst the, the piano and the atmosphere and everything. It's just, uh, I feel like he's kind of miserable and he's just told himself he has to live with it. And poetically, I think I really like the lyrics in this song. It's just the overwhelming uh, cliche of it all drowned it out for me. But I'm not against the messaging here at the end, I the, think. The final whole, line. The final line, by the way. Just to really put a period on the end of this, uh, this track, this sentence, the album as a whole. Run away. Run away if you can't speak. Which is... Very ominous. Yeah. No, I agree. Given everything that we've heard, that is the most ominous end to an album I've ever heard. Run away but, if you can't speak. I that run away from your problems. Yeah. But this, run away from what? Run away. Yeah. But this whole like meltdown of the relationship has been happening for four tracks now. Since NLYTM. I mean, they it's just been him reiterating it, reiterating it. Okay, things are bad. Things are bad. And this is just things are really bad. I want to get that across, so I'm going to be all sorrow. 
Okay. Y yes, you finalized it. But at the end of the day, the whole album isn't... Isn't anything but a romantic drama. Like one of those general romantic dramas where the guy doesn't get the girl at the end. So it's a tragedy instead of a comedy. Okay, but I don't see more in-depth to this art, to this theme, than that. I mean, that's the problem. This is a very standard tragedy at the end of the day. It's just a relationships that don't work out because, well, that's the problem. There's no because here. That's That, I think, is a big crux of in, of these issues is that there's no rhyme or reason for all these emotions he's projecting at us. I, I can't get into them. Paper Dolls was great because there was somebody answering him. And that's, I think, where I'm going to harp on most. Having the duet there really did show the back and forth between the, the, the male and female personas of this album. Because otherwise, there is no female persona. There's just him sort of explaining that he's having good times and then having bad times. And then they're good and they're bad. And at the end of the day, it's all bad. Well, specifics, or not even specifics, but get some sort of detail so context matters here. And I think that at the end of the day, that's why I feel so unfulfilled about this album. As a whole, like, I can deal with the very trope-oriented ideas that are going on right here. I can deal with the pop. I can deal with all that sort of stuff. Some of it could have been great, but... There's no context for a lot of the music that goes on. There's no context for a lot of the story that goes on. And having those two things go just just in tandem not really projecting themselves to me, I, I can't get on board with this album <laughs> really at all. It comes just wishy-washy. One good song can't save anything. And one and a half because I still think Great Unknown is in context of the album good and out of context of the album just okay i mean at the end of the day i feel like it's a shining point in the beginning because it's so not the same kick drum over and over again 2.5 that's that's all i can really give this album it's generic but generic lower than what i really would call just the standard um yeah, this this album was a l I can't I can't say it's sure. I think that would be a little bit unfair. But it was an eye roll. A sure it denotes something where you're just almost like infuriated by each decision, or rather that it's it's purposely evading you. In this case, the album I think is purposely trying to satiate you at every turn. That's annoying a little bit. It makes it for an easier to listen for sure, but it makes it as if you're listening to the radio, you know? Well, the radio is not going to to do anything that's going to make you want to, like, veer off the road, since I think most people probably listen to the radio in their cars. Uh, and every single track on this album, really, it has radio play to it. I, that in itself is not bad, but it's a little, I guess, annoying because I know what that, I know what that entails. Entails all the structural problems that I had from track one. Even when I liked certain tracks, which indeed I liked, track one, I said, all right, this is a great groove. This is actually really catchy. I found myself actually listening to it a few times before wanting to continue on through the album. 
And <laughs> it's just a shame that he couldn't keep that up. Because at least then, at least then, if he had left the songwriting, the actual caliber of songwriting, to what he had in track one, then I wouldn't have really cared that much about structural problems. You know what? I would have said, well, if this is radio play, then we're going to have a good few months. You know, I'm going to be able to put on a random station and at least drive to something that is somewhat enjoyable. It doesn't sound like everything else in the pack. He's borrowing so much, and this is what I started to say in the very beginning um, when I was talking about what, what he represents, what type of music Rob Thomas does, and what Matchbox 20 had done versus what they're doing now when they come back for hiatuses, post-hiatuses. And that is, I think they really are this, this morphous, morphous group. Specifically, Rob Thomas is a morphous individual. I think he writes to the time. And in some sense, this almost seems a little outdated already. Because I'd, I'd say this is success in the fact that, well, he knows what is popular now, but I don't want people to write what's popular now. I think that is probably what, what, what bugs me more than, than anything. I like people to write what they want and what they think could maybe be the next thing. Throw me a curveball. And that's why I went on the whole anti-radio play rant, because it's... Until there is a more diverse selection of stations out there, which you can get in terms of like Sirius XM and whatnot, then this to me is just, it's so indicative of what radio has been for the past 20 years. And I'm just a little bit bored. That's about it. It's not a chore. It's just kind of boring. And I hate using that, that simplistic of a term for this. I think I'm, I think I'm around where John is, uh, a 2.5, just because the theme, not that it wasn't interesting, I actually think I, I, I appreciated his perspective on how to drift from optimism to pessimism because that's just the way of life, and very often people try to, you know, turn it around on you. Um, that's a fresh perspective, at least. It's not that it wasn't interesting, it's just that the music did not make me feel it in any way, shape, or form. The tracks that, that were meant to be sadder on this album, and I stress the, the, the suffix er, sadder by contrast, really felt the same to me as the tracks that were really uplifting. In general, the whole album was kind of just a flat line over, with, with a really interesting theme somewhere in the background. So I'm there. I'm, I'm at a 2.5. Too many things need to be fixed, in my opinion. For me, this album comes as a huge and horrible disappointment. Uh... And there's reason for that. I mean, it's no secret to any listener who's been listening that for a while with us that I'm a big Matchbox 20, Matchbox 20 fan. They are one of my favorite bands of all time because of they're, they're kind of in a safe zone for me where I can kind of crawl into a Matchbox 20 album at any point of my life, any point of my day, and feel warm, comfortable, and enjoy it. Um, there's a versatility to Rob Thomas's writing, both with Matchbox 20 and even his solo stuff. What's disappointing for me here, though, with the solo stuff is that Cradle Song, his second record, the one before this, had such diversity and versatility and emotionality that I expected more of that because the his Rob Thomas's first solo record felt very much like this record, kind of. Uh, very pop, very digestible, very radio play. But the second album had s some more fluctuations and some more interesting things. I, I just, and this feels like he's falling back on something safer. I mean, that's my biggest problem with this record. It's so safe. Beyond anything else that you guys said, you know, there are songs that I liked, probably more songs I liked than both of you, but that's it's... pretty much what I said. Yeah. <laughs> 
without saying that word itself, I guess. Yeah. But 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 it's just so safe, and and that bums me out because we all at the table know that he's a much ver- more versatile and emotive songwriter. So it's a bummer. It's like it's like if when we reviewed Blocktober back last year or the year before. And he had released an album like this. Like, I go to Rob Thomas for the emotional connection, the some lyrical depth, you know, his great voice. And it just, it, it, that wasn't here or not enough of it. And yeah, the theme is good, but not great. I think there are some things he could have done to make it great. I don't know. It, it's, it's hard for me to artic- articulate specifically what disappointed me beyond what you guys have already said. It feels like a thinned out version of not just his solo work, but of Matt Sparks 20 and, yeah. Yeah. and in general. Yeah. And like, th- this is what it, it, it boiled down to. If you sift out all of the good stuff, you leave it with this. Yeah. And, Except and, maybe his vocals. His vocals are good when they're there, but the songwriting didn't didn't leave it. Yeah. No, it's, it's all in all, it's simply just a bummer. Um... I just I feel like if 3.5 is average and then 3 is a little bit below average this is a little bit below below average I don't know that I'll be as harsh as a 2.5 as disappointed as I am but I'm not going to do much higher it's approaching below average at a 2.75 but that said it's still disappointing enough that it's not near a 3 I just I can't give it that even middle because I, I, I won't go back to this. And that's a bummer. Nah. That's what's really, really upsetting, is that even his first solo record, even though it was similar to this, it was catchy enough that I went back to it. And his second record, I adore his second solo record. I'll go back to Paper Dolls. Yeah. I well, like that song. I just, and for, the, for the one song, it's not going to be worth it for me to go back to it. Rob Thomas, I won't go back to it enough, yeah. Rob Thomas is an, an all-album guy for me. Both Matchbox 20 and his solo stuff is an all-or-nothing for me. I love listening to albums cover to cover and this I just I don't I can't imagine I'll revisit it reminds me actually of Jimmy Eat World we reviewed their newest record it was so blah that I never went back to it and I feel like this is going to do the same for me and now to our topic of the week actually one thing I noticed when I was looking at this album is that there were two Target exclusive bonus tracks that you could only get off of said CD and that got me a little enraged. And the reason for that is I'm not a fan of exclusive media. Not to say that, okay, yeah, getting something cool and in addition to everything else is great, but when it is instead done for really a sales point of view, meaning they wanted Target to get more money because Target is gonna pay him more money to have two tracks that are exclusive for this Rob Thomas album. I mean, Shakira's done it. In fact, Adele did it very recently and it blew up. Well, I mean... Three tracks, last November's release of 25, three tracks, you could only get a target, and the internet went crazy. Well, also, um, ACDC has a contract with Walmart and some of their albums were released in advance at Walmart first and before anyone else. like this because it's purely just to push marketing towards a specific field. That's all it does. There's, In my opinion, there's really no merit to creating content that's only exclusive from a specific vendor. Now, I don't mind content that's only exclusive from buying a physical versus digital medium, as in I can't get on SoundCloud, iTunes, what have you, uh, specific bonus tracks, but I should be able to walk into Barnes & Noble's FYE, Target, or my local music shop and get the same product everywhere. 
Well, I mean, it seems beyond that not worth getting upset about, but almost pointless because in, a, in an age where you can get anything anywhere, just about, even if you're getting but, it or finger quotes getting it, which we don't encourage, uh, I, I, what's the point of the exclusivity? Also, I'm shocked because typically, and I should have checked iTunes before we started, and maybe while you guys talk, I will, but typically things that are exclusives at a location, like a store for a physical copy, iTunes will also have those I exclusives. I didn't see it on iTunes. I actually looked it up. So, and that's what's curious to me also, is it's specifically only Target. I mean, although I had I had really quite enjoyed uh, the day in which on, on autographs, I think it was autographs episode 28 or 29, where we actually did our, our live Barnes and Noble special yes. and we discussed uh, we discussed vinyls with store manager Joseph Piero. It was good. It was it was it was great, and there was a lot of great things to say about what they were doing for vinyl in terms of the marketing uh, in terms of the marketing and the resurgence of of that market, but. But this was the one little uh, fun little devil's advocate question that I, I, I posed in the middle of that discussion, which was not to be um, adversarial, but merely just to say, well, you know, there is a gimmick in here, isn't there? And every, every, retail, every retail store, they know it. They know it. And it's the fact that whether it's a vinyl, whether it's a CD, there's always going to be that, that, that mix of like, well, we don't want to give them all at once because then, of course, we just have a one-and-done kind of sales game. They buy it, they like it, they have everything, that's it, until the next album. Then it's a waiting game. But to fill in the gaps, to fill in the meantime, obviously it is a good marketing strategy to to withhold certain things. This is the regular version. Later on, you have the the exclusive edition. Later on, you have the ones with the with the bonus tracks. Then you have the vinyl with the one bonus track or the special vinyl with the other bonus track, you know, even though it's the same album as a whole. It's just, it gets a little tiresome at that point, um, if done to excess. So... I, I don't honestly know how I feel about it, but not as a collector. This matters more to collectors. Yeah. I know people personally who really, really gobble this stuff up, and I go with them to record stores, and and it's 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 fun, but it can also be a little bit draining. It, it makes it, it makes you wonder when it ends, when you will ever have just just flat out have the discography of an entire band. And not just the discography, but every single thing they have released. It's almost impossible. My friend James tries to do this with Rush. He's doomed. He's doomed. He'll <laughs> never, he'll never do it. He tried to tell me about these early albums, like from from the '70s, that were released through through vinyl pressing plants that are, were only at the time only available in in Brazil and Germany. They have specific copies. Of course, you can get the same thing on CD, but if he wants the vinyl, he'd have to shell out two hundred dollars for that thing. That's ridiculous. Well, yeah, it's like a ton of vinyl pressers actually would only have also exclusives in Japan, where so many rock bands is like live in Japan or exclusives in Japan that you. You can't get anywhere else. I remember yeah. Weezer had a bunch on oh, uh, yeah. one of their less than stellar albums that was Japan exclusive. I was so happy they didn't bring those to the stage. <laughs> In that case, I'm okay with Japan getting those versions. Anyway, one of the things, and this is, it's more than just a collector's problem, the trying to get the entire discography. What it does is it promotes inflated sales. Because somebody who's not going to buy an album right away sees that Target or Amazon or Best Buy has an exclusive version, they pre-order it. Yeah. And this is a it's, – it's less prevalent in music, but in most digital medias, it is a problem. It's especially bad in video games. But when you buy something before you know you're going to like it or even think you're going to like it because you'll lose out 
on specifics of it because you won't be able to get a specific skin for a video game or a specific scene for a movie or a specific track for an album. All it does is you're, they're basically artificially stimulating the growth of, of said album without actually presenting any of the material, and that pisses me off. Well, I mean, mm. pre-orders initially, at least in movies and video games, I can't speak to music too much because I haven't, I can't even think of a time I've pre-ordered an album. Oh, uh, uh, actually, I did. The Gorillas' second album, I pre-ordered because I got an autograph signing with it, and I met Damon Albert. That's another thing, but I'm okay but, with that because that was something. It's unique. an experience. Um, yeah. But no, with video games, it used to be pre-orders because I used to work at GameStop. The idea of pre-orders initially was because you would sell out because there were games that legitimately would sell out if you didn't get enough pre-orders and because the market fluctuated with it. However, eventually that petered off. Accessibility became bigger, especially with the rise of Amazon and Jet and other online retailers. Well, and so then it became, well, here's a pre-order. If you pre-order, here's a thing. And then you get a thing for pre-ordering. So you should pre-order. But it is a good, I think, actually, I didn't even realize, but that's probably a good way to gauge your audience, right? Yes. If a number of people pre-order, then you say, like, ah, this is the demand. So now we know how much to spend on the actual pressing, or I'm assuming it's a vinyl, or, or the, the, the making of the discs, whatever. Now you know how much to, to spend, plus a little bit extra for the people that might just hear know by hearsay. It's not, it's, it's, it's good for that, at least. Well, okay, but it causes, it, it causes a very inflated quality level of the, what the product is going to be. Because one of the, one of the, the most notorious uh, video game lines, the Call of Duty series, gets a ridiculous amount of pre-orders. And it doesn't really make sense since you can digitally buy it as soon as you want to. You can even buy it beforehand. Download the whole darn thing and then the day it shows up, a key little turns on. A little digital key and boom, you get the game. Or you can digitally buy it at any point afterwards. Like, you don't even need to buy physical copies. But because of the interactivity but, but, of video but, games, though, they're the worst of all of all of them exactly, in this, in this department. This is also happening with iTunes exclusive. It's digital content. There's not going to run out, so why pre-order? Yeah. But there's a natural evolution for this. I feel like the step in the right direction that this kind of um, culture has created is the idea that instead of pre-ordering the album, if, say, you're releasing an album on Indiegogo or Kickstarter, you're investing directly in the album and then you get the album. So it's not a pre-order, it's direct investment in the product you're receiving and the additional content that you get based on the reward system you pick is additional content as a reward for investing in the album before it existed. Showing a faith for the artist, not so much the one of that album Wanting the album on top of the investment in that artist. Which is why I don't like buying physical copies of anything at this point. When you're talking digital copies, and I would even ensue going through things like iTunes when it comes to music, when you buy a digital copy, yeah, it's you're not getting a physical CD or a physical vinyl, and sometimes vinyl is better, but... The money you're contributing to the artist is going more directly to the artist. They yeah. get their a larger share. It's one of the reasons why I haven't bought a used game or DVD in three, four years. That, that only goes, goes to I, the retail. But that goes back yeah. to the same thing. Then, then I do believe it really is a problem predominantly for collectors. Yeah. You know, I don't think it really, for the person like you, I, it seems like you are unaffected and you seem to make the claim that, well, the artist will be less affected also just by virtue of you doing that. But I, that that's kind of a shame really to say that really for the, for the, for the, 
devoted collector who really breaks his back to get absolutely everything that an artist has created, then an artist will end up getting less. No, yeah, I, that's wrong. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, no offense, John. <laughs> no, no, no. You would be the lesser fan if there were actually a, a rating system. What actually causes this problem, though, is the fact that retailers can buy exclusive content. Well, yeah, I mean, that's for, what it comes down for, to. At the end of the day, these are digital media. There's no way to prevent a. It's illegal spread because yeah. while. Even with the various suits against things like the Pirate Bay, which something recently came up, things come you still around. can't stop it at the end of the day. It, information is shared on the on the internet webs. Well, that's why for me also, if I really want to invest in somebody and I want bonus stuff from them or additional stuff from them, it, with, it's easier with indie artists because they come around more and I see them you more. You buy from their websites and from Kickstarters. Or from them at a show. Like yeah. the first time I bought, oh, oh MC Frontalot. This is an artist I've been a fan of for a long time. Tons of exclusives and awesome stuff. I've never bought his albums online unless I buy digitally. If I see him in person and I'm going to see him relatively recently after the new album is released, I will always buy the physical from him in person first because that's where he's getting more of the money than anywhere else. <laughs> money from your fingertips to his little... Right. Well, because it's not going through intermediaries. It's He already paid to press those albums. That money is his now. Right. It's also one of the main reasons why the solution to this is actually coming in the form of the video game systems themselves. Steam which uh, Xbox and PlayStation is starting to adopt a similar style. Steam allows you to pre-order or pre-buy in a lot of ways alpha and beta builds of video games at much reduced cost. So people are starting to actually do that direct investment. It's like Kickstarter. But on the other hand, they're also doing these huge summer sales. Every year people complain about how they go broke with Steam summer sales, even though they're getting 90% off on games. It's because they're getting 90% off on games 10 times the amount of games they were going to buy anyway. Yeah. But that allows the retailer and the manufacturer who made these games to more directly control the sales themselves. Mm -hmm. Instead of worrying about Target or Barnes & Nobles or Amazon, having this become the primary form of music, that's why things like Spotify are becoming interesting Bandcamp and that they're doing also, that. Bandcamp, Bandcamp is huge does for that. indie artists. Like, you're getting a more direct route and you're getting more. And so many exclusives are sold through Bandcamp too. Like uh, Megaran, who was a previous guest of Crash Chords Autographs, he sold, the digitals are all $10. His physicals, though, are often $20 or more, but you get a t-shirt and a button and some other stuff that's why I certainly, as a thank you. I certainly would argue to like a collector that it's it's it does get a little ridiculous, and maybe you know you could try to turn it down just a little bit in terms of the intensity behind trying to acquire absolutely everything in terms, of, in terms of, of physical media. Because it's like, if you can get all this stuff digitally, and I don't mean, you know, illegally, right. I mean legally, digitally, then it's like, so what? You, if, if certain tracks have no place, and, and artists know that. Artists can't be limited in, in, in many ways, really, by, well, what is your album? You know, where does this song belong? Oh, it doesn't belong anywhere. I just wrote it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, with, with those limitations, that's, physical media is really what causes that limitation, you know? And that's, that's something that I think collectors could too easily stress about when really they can just get it digitally and they have a nice digital archive which yeah it's gonna like liner notes and things but for the single track does it really matter in the end it's there it's in your list it just doesn't have an album attached to it well yeah and to actually wrap up this conversation an artist who's going in that direction he said officially is Weird Al's last album Mandatory Fun which we've mentioned on the podcast but have not reviewed um 
is his last full-length record. From now on going forward, he's release, releasing individual parody tracks on YouTube, on iTunes, and he's just gonna release a track at a time. It'll allow him to stay more current with his parodying, mm -hmm. and also, the album format is unnecessary to him. He's always just been a collection of parodies and polkas, so why not release them a yeah. single song at a time? And I think that's the direction a lot of other artists are going to progress as time goes on. Albums will disappear completely, but yeah. I feel like they will be less frequent. And I, I, don't, I don't want them to disappear right. completely. That's not the argument I'm making. I, 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 I like albums. I think albums should be should be continue to be sold in in bulk. Um, but I do have a personal dislike against doubles. I think that's that's one thing that really does. <laughs> The doubles in meaning like I have a a, a a a track sitting on this album that also happens to be on this EP. Yeah, I I that that bothers me. It's just maybe a little bit of an OCD problem, but maybe it, it all comes around. Certain people who collect they have OCD problems because they want everything and all the doubles. I have an OCD problem where I don't like having doubles. It's just it's it's pointless to have it, especially when it is imported all into um like into your media player. Right. That to have that there, it's just. I don't like it. I, don't I like only it. I only don't mind doubles when they're remixes. I like remixes. Actually, uh, then you not must me. not like the red or the blue album by the Beatles, which was just compilation type stuff. Or um, number one. I well, no. Remember number right. one? I I have a story behind this. My okay. story is interesting because Beatles one introduced me to the Beatles. So I can't or complain there. I can't complain there. I can't complain on that count. No, shouldn't have introduced you. No, it did introduce me in, in a grander sense, at least. Like, yes, we did actually have. Uh, there was really only one Beatles album that my family had, and that was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I enjoyed that, but I, I almost felt like that was my only window into the Beatles. It was like just that one album. It was like a an entity unto itself, which I, I I loved. But like, I didn't realize that oh, this is a band that had many years to and many albums. They have a discography, and the Beatles one compilation was actually my window into the fact that they had other stuff which you know I was very young at the time I was I was maybe like 11 and I really just didn't didn't immerse myself into the Beatles until around that time so it's good that you brought that up because that is actually a case where the Beatles one I I'm not going to diminish its importance it was very important for me discovering more Beatles um, but I... but it causes a problem today because of the fact that I want it there and at the same time, I kind of just want to put the original albums there. I have all the original mm. albums now, and I kind of would rather just have that because then it does pose the same problem. There's a there's a doubles issue in my music library. Pure OCD problems. Yeah, I, I was going to say pure OCD problem, but if you think of the greatest hits type albums as playlists or create them as such, then it's not so bad. Or if you look at I the anthologies. I don't like anthologies. Hits things. <laughs> well, like my, my favorites they're, are They actually, have a purpose. They have a singular purpose. They're not for archive purposes. They, they, my favorites are things like the Beatles anthologies, one, two, and I believe three, f maybe a fourth. They were the alternate hits or the alternate cuts, the ones that were the practice ones and things like that. Yeah. At the end of the day, repeats like that, alternate versions like that, yeah, I don't like bonus tracks that do that, but as an album, as a separate little glimpse into something more personal or more unusual for a band, especially a weird band, 
is amazing. And in that case, I wouldn't mind doubles. Yeah, I and I'm, mind I'm, two I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely overstating a little bit. It's yeah. not like my whole life is just undermined by the fact. It's that not there's like you're going through your playlist. Nope, I got it on a different one. Delete. That's right. Delete. And delete. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really do that. And I'll never throw away my Beatles one disc for that purpose. Um, but that's just the thing. Purpose. It, it's about what what the greatest hits or the compilations actually serve. And I think they are great tools for actually getting people into bands. Uh, yeah, because for sure. You phase it. At the end of the day, sometimes an album is just. As we well know, doing this, albums are not always perfect, but they may have good elements to it. They may have really, really golden gems, and those things really should not just get lost in the catalog. If you want to introduce somebody to what an artist does, yeah, it's nice to kind of take that and partition it. Well, yeah, because a, uh, Greatest Hits is more focused. If someone's got a long discography, it's intimidating to get into yeah. that. But if you have Greatest Hits, you're like, oh, I'll digest that and then go back. Yeah, I, I'm just complaining from archiving purposes, and that's about it. Like, when it's on your shelves, what are you going to do? You're, you're going to have it there right next? You're going to have Beatles 1 right next to uh, Sgt. Pepper? I don't I don't think so. You're also a complainer, so it's kind of yeah, I do. I'm an old man. Yeah. yeah, it's true. All right, well, let's uh, start wrapping up the show. Do you have a spam mail for us, Steve? I do have a spam mail today. This is a bit of an odd one since it is rather long and I will read merely an excerpt of it. I want to, wish to, desire to read more, even more things about it. It's, it's, appropriate, perfect, the best time to make a few, some plans for the future, the long term, the long run, and it's, it's time to be happy. I have, I have, read, read, learn, this post, submit, publish, put up, and if I may just, may, could, I wish to, wish to, desire to, suggest, recommend, counsel, you, few, some, interesting, fascinating, attention-grabbing things, issue, or advice, suggestions, tips. Okay, here's what's curious. I was reading along with him. They're actually, like, it's, it's like a Mad Lib. It's exactly a Mad yep. Lib. And there are brackets around. Each time I read a, a, what sounds like an obvious synonym to you, for instance, even, even more, or interesting, fascinating, attention-grabbing, those are in brackets, and they're separated by, uh, by the vertical line um, separator. Each one. It's, this is basically the window into how the spams are generated. <laughs> but here's the curious part. They, they actually cycled. showed us. We've Why glimpsed did... behind the curtain. This is the this is the code. This the, is the, the great and powerful Oz. That's right. My question is, you said that's an excerpt. How many words would you have to guess the rest of it is if you had to give it a word total? Oh, Probably this 30 is... times longer, 40 times longer. Yeah, about 30, about 30 times. And the author is Barber Jacket. Barbor. B-A-R-B-O-U-R. Barbour jacket. <laughs> okay. And it's on a picture. And that again. was on a picture. <laughs> yeah. Of course it was on a picture. Shocker. Very interesting content. Interesting. Um, usually <laughs> those wordy ones are. Um, next week we are having what I had said at the top of the show, but I will repeat myself. Our uh, one week delayed guest, Mr. Matt Holtzclaw, will bring magic and music to the podcast. Our second magician. Um, and uh, we are doing Duran Duran's newest album, Paper Gods. So um, I like Duran Duran's hits. You know, I don't know. I've never really followed their career, but I like the singles. Some are goofier than others. I'm hoping that uh, this album holds up to my expectation, which isn't super high. If, if I'm not mistaken, Duran Duran's one of those bands that seems to always been be in a movie soundtrack. Like, oh, oh, no, that one's done by Duran Duran. Yeah, it's that's like it feels like they're in that nebulous area in my life. Nothing's changed from last week. I still hate Hungry Like the Wolf. That's fine. <laughs> Their best song is actually Electric <laughs> Barbarella, which is <laughs> fine. <laughs> you should go listen to Electric <laughs> Barbarella. <laughs> Better song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, stop humming Hungry Like the Wolf. I'm going to punch him it. in there. It's going to happen. Walk home. Gonna happen. Wrap this up it. or it's going to happen. All right. Remember, guys, and we'll see you next week. Music is life. And, and life, life is, is good. good. 
If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.